This is W T M. Watch this movie. What? <laughs> How you doing? Oh, good for you. Oh, wait. I drink it up. First, you gotta do the trouble shuffle. Obviously, you're not a golfer. Watch a few movies, take a few notes. W-G-M. Watch this movie. Welcome back to a brand new episode of WTM Watch This Movie. I am Eric Mulder. J.C. Penny is coming here because of me. You ask anybody, they'll tell you. Joining me, as always, is Mr. Positivity himself, Wolfie Tizzle. Little pigs, little pigs, let me come in. What's up? <laughs> Not much. Wolfie T was at AEW recently. How was that? It was it was a lot of fun. After I had a deal with some business on the way in. <laughs> I'll tell this story here. So I bought tickets during the pre-sale. Row three, section floor one, which is between the uh, the stage and where the timekeeper is by ringside. Get there, scan my tickets, go through security. And uh, when they scan your tickets, they give you a, a printout with a seat locator. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm tearing the two tickets apart because uh, it's me and my old man are there. And I look and I'm like, these say section floor six, row 10. These are not my seats. It's <laughs> not what I bought in the pre-sale. So I go back to security. I'm like, what's going on? These aren't my seats. And like scans it again. And like, yeah, that's what's coming up. You got to go to resolutions at the box office. So I walk over there. And this is uh, maybe 10, 15 minutes after the doors open. So it's not. There's still 45 minutes before showtime. I go out there and uh, she's like, uh, yeah, they uh, they relook, they relocated a bunch of people to fill in sections for TV. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so what does that like, have to do with me? <laughs> like, uh, she's like, you got relocated. Like, <laughs> so like, how would I have known that? She goes, uh, you wouldn't have. Like, okay, well, like these these seats are quite a bit worse than what I had. You know, seven rows back is a, is a pretty big uh, jump when you're sitting on the floor. Why did they take everyone from the nosebleeds and just moved them down? <laughs> well, there there wasn't anybody in the nosebleeds. Well, you know what I mean. Problem. Like people with the worst seats. Why didn't they just move them there? Well, that, that was the problem is they didn't fill enough <laughs> seats to do that. But yeah, I I figured watching on TV, so I, I had seats nine and ten originally in the row, and I think what they did was they they stopped the row at seat eight. And so anybody who was seat nine through fourteen in that section got remo- relocated. Hmm. But anyways, yeah, yeah, I asked them like would you like is there any compensation for like the inconvenience and you know the worst seats? And she's like, oh no, let me uh, see what I can do. She walked away. All right, I'll talk to my boss. See, they install that true code at the factory. There's nothing we can do, but I'll I'll talk to my boss. 
I can't believe they had to actually check on it. They didn't have like a policy like this is what we're doing and this is what we're doing for the customers. Well, I don't think anybody else complained, honestly. Because <laughs> I think a bunch of people in my section got relocated. At least, at least I overheard a few people saying they did. They got relocated. And they were like, just like, whatever. That's great. You know, I'll sit wherever. <laughs> so anyways, she goes and she comes back and while she's gone, I look at my phone and I see I got an email like eight minutes before the doors open. And it's like a receipt for a ticket purchase, but it was uh, exchanging my original seats for the new ones. And I, I tell the lady that, and I'm like, you know, I'm still not happy about it. Uh, you know, like, what can you do anything about it? And she says, no, I can't do anything about it. But then she takes my original ticket info and my name and she goes back. And then she, uh, you know, a few minutes later, she comes back. She goes, all right. We gave you a free, uh, we gave you a full refund. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, we, we gave you a full refund. Uh, sorry for the inconvenience. And I look and I got the email receipt already. I'm like, all right. Well, I guess those are my seats now. <laughs> uh, so, so we end up sitting in, uh, in the new seats. Well, he never done this before. But seeing as it's special circumstances and all, he says I can knock a hundred dollars off that true coat. One hundred. You lied to me, Mr. Lundgaard. You're a bald-faced liar. Fucking please. A fucking liar. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, what a true coat. <laughs> anyways, we got to see the show for free. Um, although it wasn't the the best uh, view we were on the aisle but uh yeah row 10 is uh there's a lot of big bodies in front of us in the in the ring so uh it wasn't as good as uh we had hoped but uh a lot of fun with it with some good matches had some fun uh promo segments and for people who don't know every aew Raw, SmackDown, WWE pay-per-view that's in the Twin Cities, you're basically in row three every time. I try to be. WWE made it hard because they started charging like 500 bucks for the first two or three rows. Mm. But um, but you get the chair. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, they used to be a lot cheaper. Well, they weren't a lot cheaper. Like the, the actual pay-per-view events were... Uh, like they used to be like three twenty five, three fifty to sit. Those are fed prices. First two or three rows. Now it's like at least five hundred, six hundred bucks, like for a Monday Night Raw. And even I think they were selling tickets that high for the the house show in Rochester, Minnesota, at the Mayo Civic Center coming up. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, really? like, you know, the people in Rochester aren't going to come out and pay $600 for tickets for a <laughs> show. <laughs> like, they, they can't, can they? Like, Are they coinciding it with the Iron Claws release or what? I don't, the WWE, I don't think has anything to do with that. Um, the AEW champion's in that movie, though. MJF. Yeah, that's Maxwell cool. Jacob Friedman is in there. Mm. I heard Chavo Guerrero is also in there. Hmm. But uh, no CM Punk. <laughs> no, I don't think he made that one. 
But uh, yeah. So that's my story about AEW. Got in for free at the end of the day. What I don't understand is like if you got a pre-sale, and like I was in there within like a half hour of the pre-sale, within like minutes actually, and like it didn't let you pick your own seats. You had to do the, the find best available and let the computer find your seats. Mm-hmm. And like it took like ten tries to get like something closer than row 10 or in the bleachers but all the floor seats were in that section that i bought or the one across the uh the ramp from from it but i i don't understand why would you sell tickets in those sections first if the contingency plan is to take seats away from those sections sell tickets in the seats that you want to fill first and then if you don't fill the seats that you that you don't fill Make them the ones that you can take away. Mm-hmm. You oh. think they would fill the seats that are in the camera's viewing angle first? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. For best available, you know, <laughs> just like start over there as a base and then branch out. But they kind of do that. But it was it was weird. Usually the, the section, the side that we ended up on is usually the section they sell first. But for some reason, they did it the opposite side this time. Mm. It was I don't know if they just screwed it up. They also forgot to open the pre-sale uh, for this show. It, it was something weird where like they didn't even uh, make the pre-sale available on AXS.com until a bunch of people complained on Twitter about it. Mm. All right. Well, we made it, Brett. It's the end of the horror extravaganza with this episode. <laughs> it is December 6th. Uh, to be fair, we started late this year because of episode 300. I had an extra there for Friday the 13th also. Yeah, we had an extra horror episode. We had seven movies we did during the extravaganza. And you also, you know, you had to take some time off when your brother came to town, Brother Clint. Yep. We put out a lot of episodes over the past couple of months. Yeah, Wrapping up a... the season here pretty shortly. And I gotta say, it's a good thing I challenged you to another horror movie for the, the next recently seen, because uh, we decided we're gonna not do one till the start of the year. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I think we're gonna try and do, uh, I think we're gonna end up trying to do that episode of Stew uh, pretty soon, and then we'll do our Christmas episode. Squeeze two more in before the end of the year, and we have very little time to do it. Mm-hmm. So I will be reporting back on Terrifier 2. In January. <laughs> well, of course, we know Terrifier 3 is going to be a Christmas movie. It is. It is. So we'll have to cover that next year. <laughs> yeah, I might have to. I, I think next year, the horror extravaganza is going to end much sooner. I think we'll have to do at least two Christmas movies. Kind of make up for lack of Christmas representation in cinema on our show the past year or two. I tell you what, I think our listeners are going to have to help us pick some Christmas movies because I've been tapped out on Christmas movies for like four years. <laughs> There's always more. All right. Uh, so, yeah, this is the end of our faux American horror series or films that take place in America but are not filmed there largely. Today's episode is on The House That Jack Built from 2018 by Lars von Trier. Obviously it takes place in the U.S., but it is obviously not filmed here i think one might argue that this is in fact a comedy yeah but there's horror comedies <laughs> this is true it's a dark comedy yeah 
much this darker is, than like a, a scream or something like that. It know? is what they call a dark comedy, mm-hmm. which, which I always think that I like dark comedies always seem like they should appeal to me. And then I watch a bunch of them and then I hate them because they're not funny. <laughs> One might call it a divine comedy. Hi, oh, there's some pretty major parallels between this and Dante's Inferno. First part of the divine comedy that he wrote in which Dante is on a journey through hell with Virgil, a famous uh, Roman poet. And uh, Bruno Ganz in this film, his name is Verge. So <laughs> I thought that was just a nickname, but yeah, they credited him as Verge. Like he's this, on the verge. Yeah, this film's kind of, it's a series of five to 5.2 vignettes because the epilogue is kind of its own thing too. True. But yeah, I guess the uh what do you want to call it? The, the wrap around the overarching storyline is Jack talking to this guy Verge about his but, misdeeds. About the house he's building. <laughs> <laughs> the many houses that he's building and knocking down and starting over. Wasn't there something about a house? <laughs> <laughs> is this how all this started? Uh. <laughs> It's just to clarify, uh, the Inferno, first part of the Divine Comedy, describes Dante's journey through hell guided by the ancient Roman poet Virgil. In the poem, hell is depicted as nine concentric circles of torment located within the earth. It is the realm of those who have rejected spiritual values by yielding to bestial appetites or violence or by perverting their human intellect to fraud or malice against their fellow men. Not going to get too deep into uh, the Divine Comedy or Dante's Inferno because I don't really know much about it. I've uh, known of it for over 20 years because they talk about it several times in seven. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I've never read it. Never read any of Dante's works. Dante Alighieri, Italian writer, 14th century Italian writer. Don't confuse him with the guy from Clerks. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Dante? As Zolly would say, Dante's dead. They killed Dante. <laughs> they did. <laughs> oh, man. They cucked him, then they killed him. <laughs> it's the Kevin Smith story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get into the details for the house that Jack built. is written by Lars von Trier, of course, based on an idea by Janelle Holland, of course, directed by Lars von Trier. This film stars Matt Dillon as Jack, Bruno Ganz as Verge, Uma Thurman as Lady One. You want to help me with the lady number two's name? Sieben Fallon Hogan? I think it's uh, like Shaban or something. Maybe. Yeah. She was on the dark side of comedy recently, talking oh. about uh, Phil Hartman, I think. Oh, really? I've noticed her in various things throughout the years. Pretty prolific, I guess, character actress. I probably remember her most from Men in Black. Edgar, the skin is hanging off her bones. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He asked for some water, some uh, sugar water. Water with sugar in it? (laughs) Get your big butt back in the house. 
Oh, Siobhan is how you say it. Siobhan? Yeah. Hmm. Really? Okay. (laughs) She's lady number two. Also in parentheses, Claire Miller. Well, because she's... She gets a name. She's the... (laughs) She's the wife of the departed Mr. Miller who used to work for the railroads. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jerry, her husband, Jerry. <laughs> Jerry. <laughs> yeah, forget Jerry. <laughs> uh, yes, this movie is hilarious and it gets funnier every time I watch it. Sophie Grable plays lady number three. Riley Keough played simple. Ooh, I love to jump on hot bones. Mm. Jeremy Davies played Al, the uh, gun store clerk. I'm here, Al, because you don't ask stupid fucking questions. <laughs> and Jeremy Davies is really good in here too. His performance of like, especially when Jack flies off the handle at the end, and he's like a scared little boy. You know, almost like he's flinching every time he's Jack yeah. talks because he thinks he's gonna get hit. It's like I, I do actually need to see a receipt. I mean, how do I know that you bought it here? Is my my question? <laughs> why why do you need it? <laughs> Don't fuck with me. We go here every week for like ten years. Uh, Jack twenty, McKe- 20 years. <laughs> like every other week for twenty years, I've been here. <laughs> I buy all my stuff from you because you don't ask stupid fucking questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jack McKenzie plays Sonny at Spielers was uh, police officer two. Mariana Yankovic was the female student. Rocco Day was grumpy. That was one of the little boys. <laughs> and the other was uh, George played by Cohen Day. So two real life brothers playing film brothers, film bros. Well, he put a smile on that one kid's face. Mm-hmm. Grumpy. <laughs> Uh, Ozzy Ikhil is the military man. It seems like there's a lot of European actors in here, but nobody really had accents. I and mean, they all have European sounding names. Yeah. Yeah, they they, they pulled it off pretty good uh, playing American. Mm, anything else? Anyone else of note? Well, they have Glenn on the, the uh, credits. Did we even see Glenn? Like he honks his horn as he drives by. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah glenn's great love great guy <laughs> you know glenn uh yeah <laughs> oh yeah yeah great guy adolf hiller's in here as as himself <laughs> or catch sure footage is. mao zedong <laughs> benito mussolini stalin they don't list the other archive footage from von Trier's other works but there are shots of other films of his Specifically, Nymphomaniac, Antichrist, Breaking the Waves, Dogville, Melancholia. Not sure if there's any more. Uh, There is a list in the trivia. Okay. An early fun fact? Here's a fun fact. Including the element of crime, Europa, the kingdom, Breaking the Waves, Dogville, Antichrist, Melancholia, and Nymphomaniac Volume 2. I think the first two you mentioned are from the eighties among like his earliest works. He did like this well, element of crime. And what was the other one? Europa. Europa. Europa might be part of dogma 95. I'm not sure, but element of crime, I think is part of a trilogy in the eighties. 
that he did. I think it's on Criterion, actually. Let's see here. So outside of the first several shorts that he did, dating back to 67. Yeah, he's pretty old. He did shorts from 67 until 82. And there's something that I cannot pronounce in 82. Then he did a music video. Then The Element of Crime in 84. Epidemic, 87. A TV movie in 88 called Medea. Some more music videos. Then Europa, 91. I think that closed out the trilogy. Tyler Perry's Medea? <laughs> uh, it's an E and seven A in the first, right? Right? Or wait, um, wait, no, it's spelled the same, isn't it? M E D E A. I've never seen a Madea movie. Yeah, maybe it's M A D E A, but I don't know. Anywho, Diary yeah, I believe black... that <laughs> Diary of a Mad Black Woman, <laughs> uh, based on Lars von Trier's <laughs> Madea TV movie. <laughs> Danish TV movie from the 80s. Well, it's like Sanford and Son was based on a Jewish show from England. Mm, yeah. They did an episode where it was reversed. Where <laughs> they, there was a new show that was about a Jewish guy and his son running a uh, junkyard out of their, their house. And uh, Fred and um, oh, uh, Lamont and um, the aunt. What's the odd name? Anyways, they, they go and they, they sit in the studio audience and they heckle the show <laughs> during a taping. <laughs> <laughs> Just real quick. Uh, speaking of self-referential uh, television, have you watched any part of the new season of Fargo? Not yet, no. Okay, well, Juno Temple is in it. She's one of the protagonists, the, the matriarch of this small town family. And they do an homage right away to the, the the film Fargo. If you recall, William H. Macy's wife is abducted while she's uh, crocheting or knitting. And she's <laughs> watching some local uh, morning television from like, I don't know, ABC or Care 11 or something, you know, one yeah. of the local affiliates. I forget what that show was, but it was what well, was on in the late 80s. But the same thing is happening. She's crocheting or knitting or something in the living room watching she's watching jason the jason show <laughs> the jason show <laughs> i was laughing my fucking ass off shout out to uh, local uh tv personality jason from fox 9 you know he's like being syndicated now like they're carrying a show in chicago like in other Whoa. like he's not just local they're taking him regional now he does the a skit at the Imagine Theater to do the turn off your cell phone bit. <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> like he does he does like a whole spiel about how great the concessions are, and then he like shames a woman <laughs> for being on her cell phone during the trailers. Ugh. You're ruining my movie experience. That's <laughs> what he said. He doesn't say it like that, but <laughs> She's sitting there knitting, and of course, you can see out the the sliding glass uh, door that there's you know a couple of or at least one man in a you know a ski mask about to break in, mm-hmm. and she's just watching Jason. <laughs> I don't even remember what his last name is, but yeah, that almost makes up for the show being filmed in Vancouver or wherever in Canada they're filming <laughs> it. Almost, I was like, that's a good pull. That's. A- <laughs> That's a little surprising that they went with the Fox show and not the uh, like the KSTP uh, 
Eyewitness News, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, the Disney affiliate. Hmm. I see. Yeah, I suppose. Why isn't she watching Twin Cities live? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Back to THTJB. All our non-Minnesota listeners have already tuned out. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck is this Jason? Who the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> well, if you watch the new Fargo, you'll you'll notice. We have a we have a very localized audience for this episode going forward. Yeah. Well, bringing it back to House of the Jack Bell, we're talking about Von Trier's filmography. You mentioned the kingdom is somewhat shown in the House of the Jack Bell. I've never watched it, but it's a TV series that started in the 90s and then was done, I guess. And then there's a new season that came out last year. I'm not sure if it's like a Twin Peaks kind of deal where it was like it was on for like a season and then they just stopped it. I mean, everything outside of the U.S. seems like like British, you know, British TV in Europe. They have like these pansy ass like six episode seasons of shit and then it's like it's one or two of those and then it's done it's like yeah. that happened here they're canceled mid-year you know <laughs> couldn't even make it 24 episodes what the hell you know for the months that i had hulu i i started watching some mr bean mm-hmm. and it was like they had like two episodes in one year, and then they took two years off, and they did one episode, and then they took a year off, and they did three be like episodes. a holiday special or something. And it was like, like they weren't even like together, like, like the the original air dates weren't even like back to back to back. It was like they did one in March and one in in October, and then they did one. For Christmas the next year, and then like, right. they took two years off, and they did one in April, and one in uh, July, and then they did one in November. <laughs> I was like, what the? Who's scheduling this show? Like, how are you supposed to get into the show if it's on so sporadically? Synopsis for this film: The story follows Jack, a highly intelligent serial killer, over the course of twelve years, and depicts the murders that really develop his inner madman. As you find out at the end of the film, he's on his way to hell or through hell, however you want to describe his journey. But he's talking to Verge. Mm-hmm. And Verge is just kind of leading him along. May I ask you something? I can't promise I'll answer. Right. That's exactly what I meant. Um, are you allowed to speak along the way? I was thinking there might be rules. Well, let me put it this way. Very few make it all the way without uttering a word. People are overcome with a strange and sudden need to confess on these trips. And not all of it can be said to be of great rhetorical quality. But do carry on merrily. Just don't believe you're going to tell me something I haven't heard before. Some people talk, some don't during this journey. Well, Matt Dillon, Jack, he likes to talk. He thinks pretty highly of himself. Very talkative. And he picks five incidents, as he describes them, at random, so he says, over a 12-year career, so to say. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it's the, the five incidents. And then there's an epilogue, colon catabasis, which we'll get into later, but which turns it into a circular uh, narrative. 
<laughs> yeah. Yes, that's the uh it basically starts over. It really basically starts over. Yeah, because catabasis is the I can just give the definition now. It's catabasis is the is a journey into the underworld. Original sense is usually associated with Greek mythology and classical mythology more broadly, where the protagonist visits the Greek underworld, also known as Hades. Well, in Italian, hell is, or inferno is Italian for hell. So it's where you get Dante's inferno. But mm. anywho, that's a fun fact. <laughs> I didn't know you speak Italian. <laughs> Gorlami. <laughs> Uh, so the first incident is all about Uma, Uma and Jack. Uma is very obnoxious. Yes, Jack is driving down the road in a very European van. <laughs> very, very European is is right. <laughs> very small tires. Very uh, boxy. We should go to Car MDB for this one. Oh, is it I am Car DB? You can give us the uh, the makes and models of these. Weird, ugly vehicles. Uh, Uma is on the side of the road. She's stranded on the roadside in a in a Mustang. They got a flat tire. Basically, the only American car in this film. <laughs> and uh, Jack stops after she waves him down. She explains to him that she uh, has a flat tire. She tried to change it herself, but the jack broke. And she asks for a, a lift or help in any way, basically. And he, Jack tells her there's a, a repair shop down the road. Well, I will correct you. Not only are all the cars in here American. Bullshit. If I wanted my face covered in lies, I would still be in porn. Right? But that's a Ford Thunderbird that she's driving. He's a Mustang. Or Thunderbird. That's a, bullshit. That's a Mustang a, that she's driving. 66 Thunderbird. No way. Jack's mm-hmm. van is a 1964 Dodge A100. Hmm. Looks like the newest car is the uh, the police car at the end is a 1986 Dodge Diplomat. <laughs> but I could, like, his van does look very European. Like maybe it's a European model. I'm looking at a picture now. I mean, Mustang and Thunderbird are both Ford. So, I mean, that's where it kind of... I thought it was a classic Mustang. Looks like a classic Thunderbird. Yeah. Looking at the front here, it does have the uh, the bird with the big wings and an eagle or whatever it is. Well, it's a Thunderbird, but <laughs> <laughs> if we're talking a real animal... <laughs> yeah, it does not have a uh, horse on it. It's not a pony car. That's correct. I stand corrected. Can't believe it was wrong. Never happened before. Boy, I feel like a horse's patoot. The thing that bugged me about most about Jack's van is that it's missing the spare tire on the back. <laughs> <laughs> like it's got the mount for the spare tire on the back <laughs> panel and it's just gone. So anyways, yeah, she she flags him down for help and uh she insists that he uh, drive her to Sonny the blacksmith to have him fix her uh, car jack and they have this conversation about uh she jokes about him being a serial killer mm-hmm. and uh 
Like he doesn't deny it or anything like that. <laughs> and that's our next clip. Oops. That was a mistake. Mistake. Me getting in this car with you. What was it one's mother used to say about not getting into cars with strangers? Well, I wouldn't know what your mother said. You might as well be a serial killer. I'm sorry, but you do kind of look like one. Like when you drive me back to your car? No, no. Take care of myself. I'm sorry. Were you offended that I called you a serial killer? No. It's of absolutely no importance to me. Maybe it's just the van. It's the kind one might expect to be kidnapped in, used to transport corpses. But if you really were a serial killer, I guess the easiest thing would be just to bury my body back up there by those trees. But you'd have to remember to dig six feet down so the foxes couldn't dig up my grave. What would I do? What would I do to keep you from getting away with it? Of course. I just pick up that jack and hit you over the head with it. Jack like that could do quite a bit of damage, don't you think? I'm not a medical examiner. Do quite a lot of damage. Yeah, very funny. Um, this scene especially, I felt like Von Trier really kind of draws out the scene. Yeah. There's a lot of cutting back and forth, like to Uma, to Jack, to the to the Jack itself, the physical Jack that's sitting in between them, and then back to Jack looking at her, yeah, like back and forth. And because you, you know she's he's gonna kill her, but it's just like it takes forever. It feels <laughs> like for him to actually do it. And for some reason, it took me to like this viewing, which I think this is the fourth time I've watched this film. I didn't get the irony or the joke that Jack killed her with a Jack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i'm sitting there watching like oh yeah it's a fucking jack and his name's jack wait a second that will be quite a coincidence if they weren't you know connected it's so on the nose you miss it <laughs> oh <laughs> but um, of course he doesn't kill her right away they really draw this out both on the way down he bring he does bring her to the the repair shop well, he was I don't think he was planning on killing her. It's kind of implied this this was his first kill. Um actually yeah, I think I think it was uh, considered his first kill uh cuz it's the first body he takes back to the freezer. Um but yeah, so he he takes her down to Sonny's. He sits there and waits on her at her insistence. She's very mm-hmm. pushy. Yeah. I'm sure Sonny could uh, take you back. And then he drives her back. And uh, she's like, well, you screwed up. You you let somebody see you with me. Uh, so now, you know, that's a witness. And uh, on the voiceover, he's like, yeah, me and Sonny, we met up a lot of times after that. It never came up again. He's one of these uh, divorcees that has watched way too much murder porn. Yeah. It just knows everything. But anyways, yeah, they get back to the car and she makes him try to jack up the car and the jack breaks almost immediately <laughs> and uh she's Shitty like i need you shot. to drive me i need you to drive me back to sonny's he's like 
lady, I got an appointment. I got, I got a place. I got places to be. She's like, no, what is it? You know, she's like, starts prying. Like, none of your business, lady. <laughs> leave me, leave me alone. And you know, they're back in the car, and eventually he just snaps, and you know, like he said, he grabs the jack and just smashes her in the face with it. Um, and as Verge said earlier, and they're uh, they're they're talking in voiceover throughout the whole movie, they're kind of narrating the action. And Verge uh, at one point he goes, "You uh, you could do a lot of damage with a jack like that, couldn't you?" And uh, he was right because <laughs> he put a big divot in her face. <laughs> that he does. <laughs> oh, I, I wrote down a, a good line too. He says, "I have an appointment. Maybe another killer can come by and pick you up." <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I was talking about the the constant cutting back and forth, and with the editing, kind of adding to the tension. I think it also mirrors Jack's OCD. It almost felt like. Yeah, it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Just like the next scene where he's, how many times does he go from the crime scene out to the van and back again to clean something or other? It's like it's back and forth, back and forth, and he's. Mm-hmm. So it kind of felt like, almost like the camera work was a little OCD in parts. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, then we get uh, he starts lecturing about art after after he talks about killing. Yeah, he talks about Glenn Gould, not the Glenn you're thinking of. <laughs> Not the Glenn that everyone knows Glenn. in the neighborhood. Not Glenn, he's a good guy, Glenn. Glenn Gould is this piano player who represents great art because they have this debate, him and Verge, throughout this film, basically about what constitutes great art. Mm-hmm. Jack more or less tries to, well, he's obviously not apologizing for his sins. He's trying to normalize it or... Because he has these delusions of grandeur. He thinks what he's doing is great art. Mm -hmm. But um, that's why I had you watch Nymphomaniac. He had to learn about fly fishing and Nymphomaniac and (laughs) various other things. There's these cutaways. They're not, it's not like a family guy joke cutaway. These are cutaways that will teach you something. Well, (laughs) it's narrated by either Verge or or Jack. Right. And, uh, Chief among them is this piano player because he shows up several times throughout the film. Uh-huh. Basically, like he shows up every time Jack mentions great art, basically, because he's always trying to compare himself and what he does to yeah. a great artist. Yeah, he thinks he's an artist. He's also, we should mention, he's an engineer who wanted to be an architect. Well, so well, like, he is an architect, and there's something about Mary. He's like the George Costanza of uh, serial killers. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Was it Art Vandelay or was that Kramer's character? No, well, I think he was Vandelay. I think George is Vandelay. Okay. Well, he's pretend- he always wanted to be an architect, pretended to be. Because uh, Jerry met that girl at this party and he knew where she worked. So he was going to go pick her up, but he's like, I need an excuse to hang out at the building. And George is like, tell her you're meeting your friend Art Vandelay, the architect. <laughs> And he's like, who's that? He's like, well, that's me. I'll, I'll be Art Vandalay. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was an episode later where somebody, uh, what is it? was it the marine biologist one or something? Like, they're made up a lie about, or, I don't know, they made up a lie about what George does for a living. And he's like, you, you know I've always wanted to pretend to be an architect. <laughs> <laughs> 
but anyways, yeah, Jack Jack is an engineer, but he wants to be an architect. And uh, as far as the house goes, he, he bought a plot of land. And he, he's got a nice uh, nest egg of money for him to spend the money to build the house himself that he wants to build. Yeah, apparently he had some sort of a trust. So his parents had a lot of money, came from wealth. Uh, it doesn't really have to work. Yeah, independently wealthy, he can do whatever the fuck he wants. You fuck up. Also, he can afford to uh, rent out a freezer for ten years. Yeah. Yeah, with a owns, thousand pizzas. <laughs> he, he owns a uh, walk-in freezer on Prospect Avenue with the broken street sign, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a door that won't open. But yeah, like you said, he's got a thousand pizzas in there from some failed venture. <laughs> Well, I think he didn't he say like it basically came with the freezer or something like it was a good deal because this guy is it was like it was like a selling point or whatever. Yeah, I forget the specifics of why he had the pizza, but he had some kind of venture where the guy sold him a bunch of pizzas and he was going to resell them. And he, like he, he technically only has 999 pizzas because he ate one. He did say he ate one of them. <laughs> yes. And they, it was not good. I like to he. he they, they asked him, uh, Verge asked him, like, how did you get away with it? Because uh, he's like, I parked my, I parked her car. So so he brings the body back to his freezer or whatever. It was the first body he brought to the freezer, presumably. Uh, and then he went back and he moved her car into the woods, but, like, you could still see it. And he's like, unbeknownst to me at the time, I parked it across state lines and uh, the police legally can't see across state lines because it's not their jurisdiction. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, you can still see the car from the road. I think he does move it twice. And he does move it across a little creek. And the creek was the, the state line or the county line or what have yeah. you. And uh, he throws the keys into the little creek that was like a foot deep, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but you can see like half of the back end from the street. <laughs> Like, you don't even put it that deep into the woods. Yeah. They can't see across state lines. <laughs> I don't know if that's exactly how the law works, but we'll 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 give it a pass. Yeah. It's all about art and beauty. Art is many things. And that's kind of the it's kind of the message of this film. I feel like this is well, I don't feel like it's pretty obvious, I think, that Anyone who's followed Von Trier's career or watched a lot of his films knows he's being self-referential because he's a very controversial director. He's had a lot of films with very disgusting things in them. Yes. (laughs) And obviously, I think he thinks a little highly of himself, but he's also aware of, you know, his films aren't everyone's cup of tea. And the critics are basically everyone judging his films much like Verge is judging Jack and his crimes. Mm-hmm. So much so that at the I think it's the fifth incident when they cycle through the shots of Von Trier's other films is in the fifth in- incident. Yeah, it's it's it, towards it, the end. Yeah, it's later in the film and they're talking about art and then it's all of a sudden it's gone from like the piano player and some of these other things, painters and and great architecture that art is involved in great architecture and whatnot. And all of a sudden it's just a scene from Nymphomaniac <laughs> or Antichrist or, you know, it's Von Trier is talking about himself here. Yeah. 
I don't think he's as uh, up his own ass as Jack is, but I, I think he is saying that every work, every film is a work of art of his, whether it's good art is obviously subjective, much like any art, but I think he's, he's defending himself to a certain extent or defending his films, Mm -hmm. but I think he's also conceding that, you know, it's not for everyone. I understand if you find it revolting, some of the things I do, Almost like he, like the Verge is the voice of the critics, right? So, and Verge is the voice of reason in this film. So one could say that he's kind of, or conceding some, um, some hubris to his, uh, <laughs> to his detractors, I guess. Because I know you guys don't think it's all that great, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't I show you that uh, it was like like the online dating thing or whatever? The Von yeah, where he was, uh, yeah. Was Two that? Little... I forget. Was that just text or was it a video? I forget. It was a video, but it wasn't in English. Subtitles, right? Yeah, it was subtitled. But yeah, because he has like <laughs> dementia, right? I think he was recently diagnosed with dementia. I think he mentioned that in the video. He was looking for a girlfriend or a muse. Mm-hmm. Much like Ric Flair, eighteen to twenty-eight, no husbands, no boyfriends. <laughs> which they, they cut that off the tv broadcast by the way rick flair cut a promo and he finished it by saying uh we're gonna dance all night and dance a little longer 18 to 28 no husbands no boyfriends come on out <laughs> and uh they cut it from tv and it was large venture yeah he wanted a girlfriend or a muse who's like 18 to 30 or something like that and uh he's like you gotta deal with uh i have dementia and ocd and this and that <laughs> and I, I do what i want but i need somebody to help me do stuff and it was very strange yeah <laughs> yeah uh i advise everyone to look out for it it's it's quite amusing i mean it's also sad in a way because it's a man coming to terms with his demise but it's for for a guy like Von Trier, it's with a, a guy as fucked up dark comedies as he makes sometimes. It's almost kind of it's surreal, you know. Yeah, he's like sixty six years. Yeah, old, he's in I his think. mid to late sixties. Yeah, he might even be pushing seventy. Yeah. Also, it it, it should be noted that this film got him back in the can after he was banned. <laughs> From his uh, previous film was there, uh, Nymphomaniac, maybe. Uh, He made some comments at the the press junket about Hitler and Jews. And (laughs) they said, you got to get out of (laughs) here. You are no longer welcome at Cannes. So, yeah, a few years went by. He uh, this was submitted and they they showed it in the uncertain regard. So it wasn't it wasn't uh, in line to win the Palme d'Or or anything like that. It was shown out of competition, as they say. Really, he d- he just didn't make a movie for five years. And... <laughs> yeah, because it wasn't <laughs> like he was like trying to get in; and they wouldn't let him. <laughs> it wasn't like he made uh, movies and the, they denied him. It was just like, all right, I got a new movie. Can I show what I can? Sure. Because I, I forget. I might I might have to look it up here. But if I remember correctly, he's at least he was 
he might not practice, but he's Jewish, I believe. Uh, I'm not sure. Is it like a Kanye West situation where like he said his stuff and they're like, no, we you gotta we can't let you come back, and then everybody else started just saying the same stuff he was saying. Well, it's basically a Hitler joke. <laughs> Something in poor taste, as he is wont to do. <laughs> yeah, of all the people in the world, yeah, he's sixty-seven now. His yeah, his last wife they got divorced in twenty fifteen. MDB says he added Vaughn to his name because his peers at the Danish film school called them. So, mm. so his name is actually Lars Trier. Yeah, it says uh, Trier family are prominent Jewish family. Well, it also says that his uh, the the guy he thought it was his father wasn't actually his father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think maybe it wasn't known at the time that he was Jewish or born, you know, Jewish. So his comments. We're seeing more of a, we're not taken well, but once they're like, oh, he's Jewish, he can joke about it. That's <laughs> well, he, apparently he has the word fuck tattooed on his right hand knuckles. He has a lot of quirks, <laughs> a lot of idiosyncrasies. <laughs> Love him as a director. So I got on the, got on the train late. I think Antichrist was probably the first film of his I saw. So it says he, he made the Hitler comments in uh, 2011. Which would have been Melancholia? Yeah, that would have been before Nymphomaniac. Okay. I think that must have been Melancholia. I think Melancholia still won awards. I think Kirsten Dunst won Best Actor. Actress. Well, I guess they have... I think it is split up between men and women, but they might still... I I forget. But yeah, she won the act... I think she won Acting War. I know Charlotte Gainsbourg did for Antichrist. I know that. Gross. (laughs) I suppose you'd have to be a good actor uh, to make me that nauseous. Mm. It's more of a special effects thing, though. <laughs> Anywho, yeah, I just wanted to make it clear that this is this film is Lars von Trier looking back on his own filmography, basically. As Jack looks back on his murders, so does von Trier look back on his filmography. His contributions to art. Hmm. He's also not a very good killer. <laughs> like, he gets the job done, but he gets careless the more he does it. Well, yeah, he does he get more careless as the film goes along. But I would say that the killing itself, he's more than adequate at. Well, let's talk about the second incident. Yeah. How good? How good is he at killing well, I mean, in the second incident? It's not like she would have lived, I don't think. Maybe though, I guess he does. We're we, jumping it, ahead of it, but it's he, a while. But he strangles her, and then she she doesn't die right away. <laughs> I forget. It is a while before he actually puts that little knife into her heart. But he he tries to strangle her once, and she uh, he lets go too early, and she's like, she asks like, him for some sugar water, and then he's <laughs> like, puts a pillow under her head, and uh, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, so sorry, so sorry. <laughs> Well, he tries it again, and it still doesn't work, and he just stabs her in the heart. But I think we can get to the second incident, unless you want to bring up anything more about the first. No, let's go. This is maybe the my favorite one, the but second, it's hard. Yeah. It might hard. change the day, you know, by the day uh, when you ask me, but uh, this one's hilarious. 
Like, this mm. might be the funniest one. I would agree with that. This is this gets the biggest laugh for me. I mean, it's it's very tense after the fact, but uh, it's also funny at the same time. Yeah, it's a comedy of errors. Yeah, it's kind of like how uh, in the office, like Michael Scott, he does a lot of things where it makes you laugh, but it makes you cringe at the same time. It's like cringe laugh. Yeah, and you're like, oh, can this scene just end? It's like the dinner party episode. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Oh, I just wanted to be over with, right? So you can relax and your anxiety levels can lessen. But yeah, so the second incident, this is he—he kind of goes uh, usual suspects. Uh, Kaiser Sose on him. What's the uh, what's the other name for Kaiser Sose? Humble or uh, what's his name? Verbal Kent. Verbal Kent. He he goes all verbal (laughs) Kent on him because he's like, oh. There's something uh, going on at this. Uh, I heard you're uh, fond of shopping at the uh, whatever supermarket. And he's like looking at the grocery <laughs> bag. <laughs> like, oh, did something happen at the supermarket? No, no, not at all. But uh, I may have, uh, you caught me in a lie, which he says like, I don't know how many times he has a, a series of ruses <laughs> that he's using on her. One right after the other. <laughs> Well, she's got like a plaque up on the wall with Jerry Miller, 25 years uh, service at the railroad. Mm-hmm. I, he must have known that he was dead or like suspected that he was dead. He's like, well, how long has it been since your husband died? So he might have been scouting her out for a while. But yeah, uh, yeah like so he, so he starts out like, I'm a cop. I need, uh, you know, just uh, let me in. And she's like, well, I need to see a badge. He says, well. Bad news. Well, not bad news, but good news. <laughs> My badge is at the silversmith. They're adding some more merits to it. <laughs> I've been promoted. To what? That's confidential. Let's just say it's, uh, <laughs> Let's just say a good it's day for me. <laughs> a few steps up the ladder. My badge? It's um, at the silversmith. Yeah, it's at the, the silversmith there. They're shining it up and uh, adding a few additional citations to it. I've been promoted. Okay. Right. So now you're. Now, now what are you? Like, what's your, what's your rank now? We're not at liberty to discuss that. Uh, that's considered classified information. However, I think this is safe to say that it, it's a considerable leap up the ladder. Uh, now, may I? D- no, not without a badge. Bravo, bravo, bravo. That's excellent. That's exactly just the type of response we like to see. You say no, it yeah. makes my day. Right. Of course, everybody's always talking about security, but what, what is actually anybody doing about it? No is quite the correct answer. Yeah, it's quite the correct answer indeed. Of course, you never allow somebody into your home just because they say, well, I'm the police officer. No, 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 you don't do that. No. You wait until they show you the proper... Badge. Yeah, the, yeah. The badge. Yep. That's correct, yeah. 
Um, may I uh, ask you a uh, more personal question? Um, when exactly was it that you lost your your husband? It was just over six months ago that my husband passed. Where are you going with this? Oh, I'm just thinking about your uh, your pension. Yeah. I bet with a simple phone call to one of my colleagues down at headquarters, I could get you a uh, considerable increase in your pension. I bet that I could, I could double what you're currently receiving. Wait a minute. You could get me double my pension from the police department by calling people? Uh, forgive me. Uh, I've tricked you a little bit. In fact, as it, as it stands, I'm not, I'm not a police officer. What? I'm an insurance agent, lady. The whole story that I told you about the badge, that's, that, that's something that we've been asked to do by oh. the authorities. It's, it's for uh, statistical purposes or something. Hi, Glenn. Glenn. It's my friend, Glenn. Glenn. Yeah, great guy. Great you guy. You know Glenn? Glenn? Yeah, sure. Uh, listen, are you interested in this, this increase, uh, the money? Well, if you can double it. It reminded me of John Lovett's liar character from SNL. It's just like the lies get more <laughs> grandiose and change like every five, ten seconds. Hello, my name is Tommy Flanagan, and I'm a member of Pathological Liars Anonymous. In fact, I'm, uh, I'm the president of that organization. <laughs> Honestly, it's like talking to this guy that we work with. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we won't name names, but Eric knows. <laughs> Eric knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> he cannot tell the truth to save his life. <laughs> he's and, and, and he's easily he's easy, easily found out to be lying. And he just changes his story on a dime. Just like, just constant one lie after another. He's always got something. He's always got something. It's never his fault. He's always got a story. So yeah, once once she lets him in the house, it's pretty quick. It it goes it goes south pretty quick. Um, it's pretty it's pretty funny. Is like once he walks in, he's like looking around constantly, just. <laughs> Yeah, inspecting every corner of the apartment, like looking out windows, looking at where things are, and it's like acting very suspicious. And she's just like, "Oh, he can give me a higher pension." I I was laughing so hard because she's like, "Oh, well, if you could double my pension, I'll let you in." What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> it's like, "Well, he could kill you." We mentioned it earlier, but um, there's a car that drives by and slows down, and she's like, uh. Well, hi, Glenn. <laughs> and Jack turns around and says, hi, Glenn. Great guy, Glenn. Great guy. Well, oh, you know Glenn? Yeah. <laughs> so funny. Like it's one of the funniest bits. Like it's <laughs> such a like uh like a just like throw it in there, just you know, like it, Oh yeah. I know you Glenn. you might think they ad lib that, you know, but I'm sure it was scripted that way, obviously, but 
Like it's such a nothing uh thing just to show like how how far he'll go just to you know gain her trust. Right. It's not long before uh yeah, he's like looking in the cupboards and stuff, and then it's just like, all right, I'm gonna strangle you now. Yeah. <laughs> Very poorly. Like you could tell he probably partially crushed her windpipe. Yeah. But not enough. <laughs> Honestly, I don't. I don't even know how long or how hard you'd have to strangle somebody for them to die. Because, like, if you watch MMA, like, people go out and they come back like within like thirty seconds or a minute. Yeah. If if that, I mean, there's yeah. been times where refs haven't recognized that a guy's been unconscious and like he'll be choked for like thirty seconds, but he'll be back in yeah. less than a minute. But also a lot of those holds and chokes are more so to cut off blood to the brain, right? For a that's, short period that, of time. That is true. So it's like it's probably quicker to knock somebody out that way versus, I mean, I'm sure Jack is cutting off some of the blood <laughs> to her brain, but he's also cutting the air out, you know? Yeah. But you need to hold it. Like people can hold their breath for a minute. Like, yeah, you, you got to hold it uh, like tight. Tom Cruise can hold her for six. I heard that Sigourney Weaver can hold it for over six or whatever it was for Avatar. Smoker. She's a smoker. smoker. She's a smoker. <laughs> and then those there's those tribes that uh, are, they're kind of one with the water like Avatar, I guess. But in real life, they're like clam divers and shit. And they uh, like Brian Danielson. Like they almost have gills from Waterworld or something rather because they said they can hold their breath for like nine minutes or something. They can survive like nine minutes underwater. Is that where David Blaine comes comes from? <laughs> Probably. Here's a, another whitest kids you know reference. But a sketch about the magician in the the water tank, and they cut to him and he's like, and they're like, he's he's broken the record, the old record for holding your breath in a water tank was nine minutes. Uh, what what is he going on now? 23, mi- 23 hours, 45 <laughs> minutes, and 18 seconds. <laughs> he's just like, he's just like dead. <laughs> <laughs> like this guy drowned yesterday. <laughs> it's like Hugh Jackman in The Prestige, right? <laughs> yes. He did not yes. break the record. <laughs> Tried his darndest, though. I should say Hugh Jackman's did not break the record. But but that was a David Blaine TV special one time, wasn't it? Just him like holding his breath in a tank of water. <laughs> I can't remember. They dropped the curtain and he was in a helicopter. Mm. Something like that. Maybe that was the one where he got frozen in ice. I remember watching a Stupid Human Tricks segment on Letterman one year. This is would have been the late 90s, I'd say. And the trick that the woman was performing was like she could hold her breath for like three minutes or like six minutes or something like that. And they had like a little kiddie pool for her to do it in. Basically, it was was a little bigger, of course, but it was a smaller tank. And But there was some guy there that was pressing on her, like holding her underwater. It was like, of course, uh, Letterman's joking about how ridiculous this looks. It looks like a man's drowning. I mean, he's not, he just has one hand and he's just kind of, you know, because when you're underwater, you bob up towards the surface with the air in your body and whatnot. So he's just kind of just kind of holding her there lightly. But it looked pretty funny. 
And it they be... like they went to commercial break while she was underwater, like they had the timer going, and then yeah. they come back and then she's still under there, the <laughs> clock's still going. It's like uh the second half of a clockwork orange. <laughs> 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 talk about being held underwater for a long time <laughs> no cuts how many times did Stanley Kubrick film that scene <laughs> that's why Malcolm McDowell hasn't made more than like three good movies since then <laughs> if that food alright <laughs> try the wine Oh, I love that guy. Need more drops of his. Him and Joe the Lodger. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my favorite movies. Obviously, it's um, goes without question. It's one of the best. It's in my top five. Check out our episode on it. It's soon to be re-released after Christmas sometime. The Clockwork Orange episode will be reposted. Did you develop a stutter there? Re-released. Re-released, re-released. That's why they don't have B batteries. <laughs> Can I get some B batteries? Yeah, but what size? <laughs> <laughs> I forget whose joke that was. It was a, a, some stand-up comedian made that joke. <laughs> it was probably uh, it was either Stephen Wright or is uh, Mitch Hedberg or something. Might have been Daniel Tosh. Mm. Can I get some B batteries? <laughs> somebody had, uh, I was scrolling through Facebook and somebody had posted like 36 one liners from Stephen Wright, and I was just on the floor. I think the first one was, oh, I'd kill for a Nobel Priest Prize. I <laughs> <laughs> like he's got, he's, I'm, I'm not afraid of heights, I'm afraid of widths. <laughs> <laughs> there was the stereotypical one i don't even know if it's a stephen wright joke but it was like if you were going to do a stephen wright joke or make fun of like what he does it was like a spilled spot remover on my dog now he's gone <laughs> yeah that's that's <laughs> definitely one of his jokes <laughs> actually actually i think that might be a uh, mitch hedberg one it's one of those two for sure uh stephen wright he named his dog stay <laughs> come here stay come here stay come here come here stay oh all right anyways back anyways. to the second incident claire is dead he stabbed her in the chest because he couldn't strangle her right he took out like a little almost like a pen knife it was a weird looking knife wouldn't you say it was almost like a scalpel that he just kind of yeah. took out and he was very precise with it and put it right in her heart and spurted mm -hmm. blood and then um, yeah, that did it. Makes quick work of the cleanup. At least it's shown to be. I mean, I'm sure it took hours, but you know, he wraps her in plastic and he cleans the floor. I think he puts ammonia on everything, right? But but even before he cleans her, this is the first time we get more of his art because he poses the body and takes a photograph of it. That's right. It's something we didn't really see with the Uma Therma character, right? He likes the negative photographs. Not like, like the film negatives, not like. 
<laughs> not like of ill repute or something, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Not like not like the opposite of positive negative, like the 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 film negatives. For me, though, what was really sensational about the work with the photo, it wasn't the image, but the negative. When I was 10 years old, I discovered that through the negative, you could see the real inner demonic quality of the light, the dark light. This is the first time he he, he poses a body for pictures. Um, we find out later that he gets a lot more brazen with it. And also he finds that he, he can freeze the bodies and then pose them into uh, different positions for better photos. And like there's there's another murder he commits later in an apartment building where he takes the body back to his freezer and then brings it back to the apartment building and runs over a lady on the way, puts her in the back of the van, <laughs> brings both bodies back up to the scene of the crime to take pictures of them. Yeah, there's more murders that he talks about than just the five incidents. He yes. kind of like gets carried away with himself like oh i did this and this and this and this <laughs> it's kind of filler <laughs> stuff to uh yeah like develop his point about the whole arts and uh yeah he's really trying to sell like what he does as great art <laughs> art is divine as he so puts it sure divine comedy if you will as is this film but yeah he talks about how he calls it the dark light yeah and he also has this example of uh, a man. It's like a cartoon. It's an animation where a man's walking down the street and then there's street lights, and there's a light with each street light, of course. And as he passes underneath the light, the shadow that he casts is the smallest, but it's also the most intense. And as he walks away from the light, the shadow creeps up in front of him, but becomes less intense. And then until the light in front of him, he gets closer towards and the shadow is cast behind him. Less intense until he's directly underneath the light than the shadow is in its is at its greatest intensity, as he puts it. So he's trying to create he's trying basically trying to say that water isn't wet. <laughs> That's what he's trying to make with all these points about his art, you know. Obviously it's subjective, you know, the sickos, they can find beauty and everything. It's like uh, Wes Bentley and various other people from American Beauty. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the dark light, he he has all these photographs of people he's killed and he arranges them in certain ways, sometimes comedic, sometimes not. Um, he just likes doing it and he just likes looking at the, uh, the negative uh, film. Yeah, he, he develops his own film. He doesn't take it to the right aid. <laughs> He's not allowed there anymore, not after last time. I guess we, we didn't really uh, discuss like what time frame this movie takes place in. It's it's kind of uh, ambiguous. Uh, like we mentioned like most of the vehicles are from the 60s, 70s, and maybe the 80s. Yeah. The glasses he has at certain points, he does he isn't always wearing glasses, but when he is, especially in this incident, the second incident, yep, they're from 70s, 80s time frame. 
Yes, they are, but they are timeless. They are. <laughs> I know you've got a pair similar. Similar. They're not, mine aren't as big as his. He's got very big aviator glasses. With um, the with the double, what do you call it? The double uh, bridge? Yeah, sure. They're aviator style. So, so it's pretty ambiguous why he, uh, or when this takes place. But it's it's most likely probably in the the seventies and eighties. Yeah, the cell phones are not really shown, are they? No, not at all. And later on, Simple is trying to you know she calls from a, a landline. At least she tries to make a call from a landline. I I think like that segment feels like the most modern, um, right? But it's it's mainly because. Probably because of her hairstyle and her her clothes, like it, like she's not dressed like it. Yeah, time. I would say that her hairstyle seems a bit retro. It's it's just kind of messy, like a general like eighties messy, wouldn't you say? Uh, like a teased a yeah. mess, maybe a bit. See, I mean, yeah, I I think we can conclude that it's it's ambiguous, but probably eighties. Well, it's over a span of twelve years, so. Right. Could have been from the seventies to all the way up into the nineties, for all we know. So yeah, we get to really see Jack and his OCD in this scene because he goes out to the van. He brings the body out there, and then he's like, he's thinking, "Oh shit, did I forget to clean underneath this the ottoman from this chair? Or yeah, did he I keeps underneath it. the lamp? Like <laughs> I, I don't know how he thinks there's gonna be blood under all this lamp and stuff. He keeps but, imagining blood splatter underneath things." That mm-hmm. like would have blocked it. So he goes back in the house. I don't know how many times, but let's just say the sun goes down while he's doing it. Cause that's like, it's light out when he's first like, Oh shit, did I forget to do this? And then by the end of it, it's like, it's middle of the night because there's a break in going on down the street. So it's gotta be like midnight on top of it. There's police sirens wailing in the background for <laughs> most of it. <laughs> So uh, he's he's really uh, walking a, a razor's edge there. But yeah, like you said, the, there's a cop that pulls up across the street. Uh, this is after he's got the body in the van, of course. And here's the sirens, though. He starts banging the van. That was fucking <laughs> hilarious. You just remember that? Well, he, like, he gets mad at himself and starts hitting the van in, in yeah. different parts of the movie. And then he's got to go back in again. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, the cop uh, comes over and questions him. Like he said, there's a break-in across the street. And uh, he goes, Glenn, uh, he said he saw you visiting uh, with uh, Mrs. Miller earlier. And we get the story about, oh, yeah, I used to work with her husband, Jerry, and uh, I'm an avid collector of uh, of tracks, the publication owned by the railroad. And uh, uh, Claire said that, Jerry had some uh, back issues I might be interested in. <laughs> <laughs> Tracks. Been waiting her two hours for her to come back. She went inside and never came out. The cop asked him, like, why didn't you go in there? Like, oh, you know, a weird guy like me. You know, better safe than sorry. I'm sure him and Bobby Bacala were the only collectors of tracks. <laughs> you watch Sopranos? No. Bobby Bacala loves the trains. Buys little model train sets for himself. And when he gets a boy, he's really encouraging that uh, hobby. 
and then he gets gunned down in a train shop <laughs> by model trains. It's it's like Morgan Freeman in that uh, Zach Braff movie. Which one? The, the one with Florence Pugh as the. Uh, oh, I never watched that. Never the saw it. Uh, opioid addict. Mm, didn't see it. It's okay. I've never seen a Zach Braff film. It's not bad. They uh they make her frumpy and ugly on purpose. It's like, oh, here's another Florence Pugh movie where she where sweats the entire time. <laughs> You're watching Midsummer again? She doesn't do her hair or her makeup. Just watch Lady Macbeth and have fun. Ooh! Well, I love to jump on her bones. Mm. So yeah, uh, <laughs> then he turns the story to, yeah, uh, she went in there and she never came out. And I heard, I heard noises and he <laughs> starts talking about, he's alluding to, he's alluding to a, a possibility of her being abducted yeah. while he was waiting in his van. <laughs> you mind if I take a look in the van, please, sir? I'd be a bad guy if I said no. All right. Open door, please. Yeah. I'm sorry, sir, but there's been a, a minor breaking down the street just now. I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about anything you may have seen or... Yeah? Glenn said you were visiting Claire. I'm sorry, you you said something about a break-in? Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, unfortunately, I think you've got a more serious problem. Claire? She's disappeared. Claire Miller has disappeared. We have been uh, sitting out here for the last two hours in my van waiting for her. Right. You see, I contacted Claire because uh, her late husband was a dear friend of mine. We worked together for a number of years on the railroad, and uh, I'm a collector. Yeah, I collect. Uh, I collect tracks, old tracks. issues of tracks. It's a uh, publication owned by the railroad and uh jerry uh i know happen to know for a fact that he also subscribed and was an enthusiast such as myself Mm -hmm. so claire said she'd run inside and see if she could rustle up a couple of back issues for me she didn't ask me in right better safe than sorry when an oddball like myself just turns up right yeah so I knocked several times, and uh, she hasn't answered. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you to stay right here. So I'm go take a look. Well, go knock on the no- door, uh, check on her. Door uh, might be but... unlocked. <laughs> <laughs> check, it might be unlocked. No, she didn't come out the front door. You know, I, didn't, I didn't see her go out the front door. Been waiting out here two hours. And about 20 seconds after the cop goes in, like he just follows in after her. And it's funny because like the cop is trying to, to clear the house basically. And he's still looking underneath furniture. <laughs> oh, this is so good. Oh, we should, we should mention too, when the cop came over, he took the body out of the van and stashed it in the, uh, the bushes. Yeah. There's like and, some uh, smaller, like pine trees, right? 
next to yeah. that. Like it's like twenty feet from the house. He basically moved the body ten feet, and and the hoping like, like the rope mind, wouldn't, plastic wouldn't be seen. You mind? I I look in your van, and you know he, he's like, oh, I'd be a bad person if I didn't let you. <laughs> so obviously he sees nothing in the van, and, and of course the van being red inside and out, the you know the blood uh, doesn't show. So that's another. That's that's probably something I didn't think about there, Brett. That's another little factor. He's got a red van, especially in the dark. Yeah. So you know he he feels comfortable showing it off. But anyway, yeah, they he's they're in the house, and uh, like he said, the cops trying to make sure that nobody's in there or trying to find Claire and uh, Jack's just looking at everything, and but then he he starts berating the cop. He's like, I want. You to investigate this room impeccably, impeccably. <laughs> He's just like shouting at him at this point, and finally, cop the cop just like tells him to leave. Jack has the worst poker face in the history of serial killer cinema. I think he gets so worked up over it too. <laughs> like it's uh, yeah. Now I'm starting to think about this guy we work with and like, what is he doing in his <laughs> off time? <laughs> I'm starting to get worried about, you know, workplace shooters and whatnot going oh, postal. Jesus. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously we, towards the end of this, jumping ahead a little bit, you know, he, after he drags the body, basically there's some, as he calls a divine intervention, why he wasn't caught. Yeah. Cause he's obviously making a lot of mistakes now. And then in the future in this film, and the rain washes away all the the blood trail that was miles long, <laughs> leading to his stashing spot for all his bodies. Yeah, but, we just just to clarify, when he leaves the house, instead of putting the body back in the van, he ties a rope to its feet, and the other end to the uh, spare tire uh, spot, whatever you call the back it, back of his van. Yeah, on the back of the van. So. He's just dragging it out in the open. He's passing cars on the freeway. Mm-hmm. There's blood. Well, it's not a freeway, but it is well, like whatever. it's a on paved road. road, you know, highway. on the road, whatever. Some European paved road. He passes <laughs> a logging truck among other cars and there's this blood trail. And like by the time he gets back to the freezer, like the body's just shredded to pieces. And because it mostly was dragging on the front part of the body so the head is halfway gone from the face back yeah that's where it is and also like part of the body of course because it's like you can see a dragging like blood is spraying it's leaving a trail <laughs> and it's very uh i don't know which how do you describe it it's very graphic but very yes. funny <laughs> for guys like us i guess it's 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 one of the Top dragging scenes. Uh, <laughs> well, that goes without question. It, it's it's right up there with the scene from Citizen Toxie. <laughs> <laughs> Check out our Citizen Toxie episode. Which one you ask? You know the one. <laughs> which was based on a real incident, which was... Uh, you don't get that in movies these days. You're talking about James Gunn Discovery? Is that what you're talking about? James James Gunn ripped from the headlines. Black man dragged until he's dismembered. Mm. Let's put it in a comedy. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yep. 
But yeah, James Gunn also sexually harasses several women in the movie. <laughs> and makes fun of handicapped people on top of it. Yeah, I love how he's just implicating himself. Like the whole time the cop is there, he's just doing everything <laughs> he can to fuck himself and get arrested, basically. Yeah. When he drags the body off, it's about the, I don't know, fourth time that fame is played by David Bowie. <laughs> Isn't that many at this point? I mean, it's like it's at least two, I think. Also, I forgot to mention the trailer for this film is fucking great. It has fame is the the song for the trailer as well, but fame in this film is treated like uh, you did see American Gigolo, did you not? Right? Yeah. So remember how "Call Me" by Blondie. Yeah. is played like six times in that movie. It's like the, <laughs> like the same thing in the House of Jack Bell with fame. It's like they really, like we paid for the rights for the song. We're going to fucking get our money's worth. They really use that song and beat it into the ground. They, they really do. Yeah. In the trailer and in the film for the House of Jack Bell, that song is played at least five times in this film. At least. It's really to like punctuate a scene. Yeah. It's like... Uh here's the here's the climax to the scene Fine. <laughs> <laughs> there's those cutaway scenes with matt dylan with the the cue cards that he's flipping away oh yeah yeah <laughs> like bob dylan. just like words describing himself and whatnot like bob, and what he's doing like bob dylan <laughs> minnesota connection well you could be a diaper salesman in duluth for all i care there you go. Did you notice that child Jack looks just like Forrest Gump? Because <laughs> they do some flashbacks to when Jack was a child. It, didn't, it they, didn't occur to me. Whatever uh, the kid actor was, I think it might have. Can't remember if I said it or not at the beginning, but he looked just like Forrest Gump on the bus. You can sit here if you want. <laughs> Obviously, it wasn't the same kid because this was 24 years later. Yeah, obviously, it's not the same actor, of course, but they have a striking resemblance. Yeah, young Jack was Emil Tolstrup. Okay. I also wanted to point out, if you notice in the murders, there's a lack of score music. Yeah. It's very, especially in this incident, it is like silence. But when he like puts that knife into her, mm-hmm. there is no score, no background sound. Kind of makes the scene more haunting, I think. Yeah. Because, I mean, this is a horror movie. It's a comedy, but it's a horror movie as well. And there are some pretty haunting scenes. The next incident, which we'll get into shortly, Brett finds very funny. I find it still disturbing, but... (laughs) Yeah, it's to each their own. Well, it's it's more so the uh, execution. Pun not intended? Uh, Pun intended. Uh, the execution of the uh, the next incident. I still, there's a couple of notes I still have from the second. Uh, one being, um, this is also when the one of the cutaways that we've talked about. There's the the lamb and the tiger cartoon. Oh yes, which is also I think shown in the first incident. Oh wait, it's uh in the first incident with Uma Thurman, it's a lion licking his chops, and uh, I forget what the lion's prey was in that cutaway but in this one it's a lamb and a tiger do you know blake's poems about the lamb and the tiger i do know blake superficially 
but I'm afraid I'm on his gate a comprehensive tutorial. God created both the lamb and the tiger. The lamb represents innocence, and the tiger represents savagery. Both parts are perfect and necessary. The tiger lives on blood and murder, kills the lamb, and that is also the artist's nature. You read Blake like the devil reads the Bible. After all, the poor lamb didn't ask to die in order to become even the greatest art. The lamb has been bestowed with the honor of living forever in art. And art is divine. And obviously, Jack is savagery. Um, he goes on to talk about art is divine. This is when Verge asks kind of about family. Like, no, you never had family, you know, that to kind of ground you? Is that why you're so fucked up? And and of Jack says, no, <laughs> to the contrary. Family would inspire uh, some of his greatest works, which leads <laughs> into the third incident, which is when it goes off the rails. Mm-hmm. Probably the most controversial part of this film. I, I actually, I, real quick. Real quick. There's in the cutaway when he's a child, he talks about he, he liked watching the men cutting the meadow with the scythes. Yep. And the yep. uh the musical nature of that. And also he sends a photo to the newspaper of one of his murders, which That's he, right. he starts doing regularly and later gives himself the nickname Mr. Sophistication. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Hubris. Also, I forgot to mention i did have another note i think they showed it in the first incident but there's a door in the freezer that jack just can't open <laughs> yeah yeah i mentioned he that struggles briefly. with it okay yeah, i mentioned that briefly uh at the beginning but yes there's a door in the freezer that he's just <laughs> like i couldn't get it open I, which is I funny is like you'd buy a freezer it's like buying a building or something and then like yeah. you can't get into a part of it <laughs> like oh well <laughs> i mean after he can't get into it it's you can't bring somebody there because they got bodies in there, but yeah, can't really complain, I guess. But still, well, he, he had enough space for what he uh, what he needed it for <laughs> until the very end, and then he needed a little more space. There was a good amount of height in that freezer too, so he could build oh his God. house higher. You know, <laughs> very. He's just got at one at, at the end. He's just got stacks and stacks of bodies in there, just in various positions. He's got, uh, well, we'll talk about it here, but one of his uh, funnier uh, bodies in the freezer, which is pretty prominently displayed, uh, is the, one of the next victims. So, yes, the third incident, it seems as if Jack is taking a relationship with a woman who had two sons from a previous relationship. Apparently, it's going pretty well. He's taking them hunting and he's showing them the ropes. Teaching him about hunting, teaching him about the rifle, how to shoot. This whole spiel about, uh, what do they call it? The trophy parade? Yep, the trophy parade. Very prominent, especially back in the day. Well, they still do it now. You see, you have friends on Facebook that hunt, right? Well, if it's not a deer, they show you their line of pheasants or ducks or what have geese, what have you, or fish. Like when Don Jr. shot that Triceratops. <laughs> <laughs> or that Minnesota dentist who killed that fucking lion, right? 
it's a one of our mutual uh, acquaintances, uh, friend of a friend of Josh Hartnett. She told me one time that she brought her kid into uh, daycare or something. I think it was her who told me the story. Uh, she took her kid to daycare or like they're checking out this daycare and there are people protesting in the parking lot. And uh, she asked like what was going on. And they're like, oh, yeah, that, you remember that dentist that shot that lion? His <laughs> office is right there. They <laughs> <laughs> uh, like Sometimes they just come and protest. <laughs> but I digress. Uh, the next clip is all about culling and ethical hunting. To be honest, I find hunting distasteful. For example, if I wanted to shoot some of the crows up in that tree. We'd be talking about what is known as culling, which quite simply means you want to determine which animals you are going to allow to live in your forest. The crow has no value as prey, but can be culled because they're seen as something of a threat to animals you want to cultivate. Culling is also such an unpleasant word. It has a tinge of ethnic cleansing about it the very sick and twisted act of hunting has been ritualized to such an unsettling degree. The Batu, for example, where a row of beaters scares the living daylights out of an entire forest. Not to mention the trophy parade practiced primarily in Europe at the end of the hunt as a final insult in which each species has its own traditional place. We want to go up in the tower, Mom. George, wait. Yep, we're going up. So, yes, uh, Jack kind of describes uh, what ethical hunting is to the kids. He talks about how he, he used to hunt, right? Or at least he did once and he didn't like it. And he finds it uh, finds it to be distasteful. They, they asked him if he ever killed a big animal. He goes, yeah, I did, but uh, I don't do that anymore. Uh, you know, I, I I forget the exact reason why he said it, he doesn't do it, but it was like he it was morally uh, it was like morally objectionable to him to uh, kill a large animal. Of course, then he gets up in there. Uh, he's got like a shooting tower. <laughs> he just starts picking off the kids. Yeah, he uh, makes quick work of the kids and the mother. There's the director's cut of this film and there's the R-rated version and there's only about 15 seconds worth of difference that I can tell. Now, the death of the child that's running his leg flying off, that's that's not in the theatrical. The legs gets blown off. It's as as you found it to be very funny. <laughs> well, well, the funny thing about it is like it seems like they clearly use CGI for the... Uh... For the kid for, for running across the yeah, for him running across the field, getting his leg blown off, and then he basically does a flip in midair from getting his leg blown off. But it's it looks very unnatural, very uh, yeah. uncanny valley. Well, um, as you know, CGI is want to do. It does look very unnatural. So I I feel like that would be uh, uh, slightly. Uh, more disturbing if you don't see that part 
Um, of course, the next shot is a headshot of the much younger boy, <laughs> um, which yeah. is very unflinching. Yeah. And then they have a picnic. Now, I've, you know, this film came out in 2018. I saw it. I can't remember if I, I don't think I saw it in the theater. I don't think it was playing near me or it, but I, I rented it online like as it was still in theaters i saw it very early on so this is before I met my wife had my kid and i still found this scene to be the most disturbing and you know it's these are framed and within the five incidents and you know he says the family would inspire his greatest works of art and it just cuts to the woman's face and you see she has two boys with her yeah and I was like, my heart just sinks. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> well, this doesn't end well. Right away, you know, it's just like, oh, this is going to be a rough scene. And then it is pretty rough. Now, obviously, the theatrical is a little bit easier to get through, even if you find it to be pretty comical with the leg blown off. I'm kind of indifferent. I think both are pretty harrowing, but yeah, I, I didn't see the the theatrical version, but like I said, I. In this case, it seems like less would be more. Where, like, if you don't see, yeah. then maybe it'd be a little more disturbing. If you just I could see, see that. Aftermath. I could definitely, I could get on board with that. Also, I think the only other thing I noticed, I believe it's been a while since I've just seen the theatrical because I'm a purist. I like the director's cuts. So I'll just watch that from now on. And especially with Nymphomaniac, it's like an extra hour. So. <laughs> You're either watching that or you're not watching it at all. But with the uh, House of the Jack Bill, I think the other other scene I noticed that was edited was cutting off Simple's tits. Yeah. And I don't remember seeing him sawing them off in the theatrical. It's it's a quick shot, but you can see him cutting them physically in yeah. the director's cut. I thought that one was a little more disturbing because it's a yeah. little more sadistic. Right. Mr. Positivity just doesn't care about child murder. You know, I don't condone child <laughs> murder in any ways, but those kids kind of deserved it. Um, grumpy. <laughs> he calls one of them grumpy. That's because he didn't want to go do it. He didn't want to do anything. He was always had a poo-poo face. Yeah. But yeah, so he, he kills the first, he kills the two kids. And then he tries to have a picnic with the mother. A family with the two picnic. kids. Yeah. Yes. He kind of props them up and tries to feed them pie and shit like that. that. Just really. That's, that's kind of just, that's probably the, the, the most disturbing part of the scene is like, yeah, he's killed these two kids. And now he's just like yelling at their mom to like, you know, give them some pie, feed them some pie. And she's just in shock, you know, shaking and, crying and doesn't know what to do and then she you know he tells her to run and he finally guns her down well and, he like basically gets up starts climbing the tower and starts counting to 10 yeah and she she's like what what and she finally figures out that she needs to run mm-hmm. and he wounds her and then he tracks her down and finishes the job then he displays all the bodies as one would with a a trophy parade and whatnot and the culling is displayed just like the culling with like crows and stuff because there was he talked about the crows and um because i think he put some crows with the bodies right doesn't he 
He like he borders it with crows. It's just like there's yeah. like dozens of crows like to make the border of the uh, box or whatever that he puts around them. The trophy but, case of the human bodies. But like at the beginning, he's like, "Oh yeah, crows aren't really uh, like they they don't really benefit anything." But I I don't kill crows. That's uh, beneath me. And then like he kills like dozens of them. <laughs> yeah. So. But yeah, that was uh, quite the uh, incident there. And like I've said before, uh, I can say this is not my favorite incident. It's not my favorite part of the film, but I think it does show that anything can be art. And I I agree with that assessment that Von Trier is basically trying to make with this film that anything can be art. Hmm. The fame song definitely seems to give it an artistic (laughs) flair. Because uh, that uh, makes another appearance, of course. A flare of sophistication. Yes, that Jack also covets. <laughs> this is where he officially calls himself Mister Sophistication. They, they start running yep. his uh, his uh, pictures in the newspaper. Is this also where he starts like uh, practicing his facial expressions? I forget which uh, at which point he does that. He's got like a bunch of pictures he's cut out of like magazines and stuff mm. of different uh, expressions of emotion. Right. Cause he doesn't experience emotion. He's, he's like <laughs> a, he's like he's a legit psychopath. And so he like, he sits there and he practices like the different uh, types of expressions for like surprise or happiness or sadness or melancholy or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, Lars von Trier is like so self-aware here while creating a character who is the opposite because it seems like Jack is, he is so not self-aware. It seems like. I don't think it's due to lack of intellect or intelligence or what have you. It's he has a way of doing things. And if you're not on board with it, he just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Well, I I think to an extent he's aware of his... uh... He's aware of what other people think of it. He, he's he's aware of his mental issues, uh, his psychopathy and his OCD, but he he finds ways to uh, mimic human normal human behavior up to the point where he uh, can unleash his true uh, ambitions, if you will. Right. I th- I think he's also blinded by ego and self importance. Yeah. Which may be Von Trier also admitting, saying, hey, I think what I do is great, but you might not. And that's okay type of thing. As we, as we mentioned, too, the, the, the more he kills, the more careless he gets with it, the more right. like more over the top all of it is. Which I, I guess you could probably compare to Von Trier, too, because it's like he made some like, I, I haven't seen a ton of his movies, but like he made some edgy not not super edgy movies and then it's like antichrist and melon and uh and uh nymphomaniac and then all of a sudden it's like these like really extreme movies where like uh you know he he has no uh no line that he won't cross anymore right mm-hmm. yeah that's uh i got a lot of notes about that i think it maybe it's part four where they go through some of those 
past films of his. Just looking at my notes, but maybe maybe it's part five. Anyways, part four, Elvis's granddaughter. You have great tits. Let's get into it. <laughs> hey, I've got great tits. Why are you always have to be so crude? What? Well, was that being crude? I don't think I was being crude. Riley Keough. I'm a she's fan. Like, I'm a fan. She she plays a dumb hick in a lot of movies. <laughs> she does. The I first mean, time I saw her was playing. Well, she's a street smart white trash in American Honey. That's one I haven't seen yet. Okay, need to see that. But Zola, she's a she's a hooker, right? Who's just like a white trash. Got a got a white boyfriend and a a black pimp that she sleeps with. <laughs> just, you gotta yeah. you gotta see uh to appease your Minnesota nature. You gotta see American Honey because it's these kids that are selling magazine subscriptions. You know, like you used to do for like band or like a fundraiser or something in high school. Sure, well, these sure. kids are doing it for like a living basically, and they're traveling around the country to like cities, but like poor areas of cities to sell subscriptions and there's a scene where they go into i think they're in south dakota and there's this kid in a trailer park and he's wearing a culpepper jersey (laughs) nice this is like this is like a 2015 movie like this is not 2002 vikings okay this was he getting his roll on he was getting his roll on like (laughs) 12 years after the fact. <laughs> what? Huh? <laughs> and it's not like a, a it's like a it's like a, a teenager, like a young, like a 12-year-old kid or something, or a 13-year-old kid is wearing a Culpepper jersey. <laughs> but I digress. Uh oh, uh, that reminds me of that new John Cena movie where uh it's him and Allison Bree in some uh fake South American country. Right. Like they go to a village of natives, and there's a guy wearing a Kansas City Chiefs Matt Castle jersey. <laughs> That's pretty good. Could have been a Vikings Matt Castle jersey or a Patriots Matt Castle jersey. He got him to the playoffs the year Brady tore his ACL. No, he didn't actually. Remember that was famous because they got oh, him that to. Was, uh... I knew they didn't win the the Super Bowl. Oh, is that yeah? They didn't win the, the division. They didn't year? get the playoffs, but they were they had a good record. They were like ten and six or eleven and five or something, and they missed the playoffs even with that good of a record. Oh, is oh, is it when the Jets were actually good? Yeah, I think that was one of those Mark Sanchez like butt fumble fucking is seasons that, or something. Uh, Bart Scott can't wait, <laughs> <laughs> but. uh but I digress. We're we're in the fourth incident. This is when he's just totally careless. Yeah. Um, it, it's weird because so he's in crutches, so he's faking an injury, I guess, for sympathy. But <laughs> yeah. it seems like he's been with this girl a long time. It seems like it's been months at least, right? Yeah, they're definitely comfortable together. You're exactly right. At least early on he's charming, and then I guess they drink and then he <laughs> turns into a fucking asshole, but an asshole is an understatement. This dude is just 
vile. Yeah. He's he's calling this chick simple. Mm-hmm. And she's like to her face calling her like the, the dumbest person he ever met. And and then on top of that, he, he starts admitting the killing people. Mm-hmm. And uh like he gets he, so he thinks she won't believe it, you know. Can we just talk about something normal? Like like what you do, something like that. Information about what I do. In simple terms that a simpleton can understand. Is that right, Simple? Yes. I kill. Okay. I've killed 60 people. I'm a serial killer, Simple. You're weird. I'm weird? Why? Because I'm saying that I've killed 61 people. And you said 60 before. If you weren't as dumb as a fucking doorknob, you'd be familiar with the term updated. Just because the number was 60 an hour ago doesn't mean that it can't easily become 61 in just a couple of minutes. Well, I'm not dumb as a doorknob. Maybe I haven't read as many books as you have Simple. Read. Come on. You're as dumb as fuck. <laughs> yeah, Simple is... And she's not... I mean, she's depicted as... Not the brightest, but she's definitely not depicted as dumb. She's just a normal girl, right? I well, Would you say she's depicted as like a normal, average young woman? To an extent. Average I, I, intelligence. Average, maybe slightly below average, but like he, he definitely Probably because has... of her social class or her, in terms of, you but know, she's she no, probably, she doesn't have a lot of money. She's a working class girl. She's no genius. We'll say that. Yeah. And he takes advantage of her and uh, gets her like all twisted up and uh, uh, she like confuses the hell out of her. Also, I don't think she's uh, ready to find out that he's an able-bodied serial killer. <laughs> Why aren't you using your crutches? <laughs> he scares her and she starts to run outside. And I think he beats her out there. Or he comes out like right after her because there's a cop yeah. outside, I think, giving a parking ticket to someone. And she's like, my boyfriend or whatever. He's a killer. He says he's killed 60 people, blah, blah, blah. And he runs out there. And he goes, officer, everything this woman said is true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think he might have come out thinking that she was alleging that, you know, he was abusing her or something like that. Because yeah. he goes on to, to say, like, I haven't treated her right. You know, I don't deserve her, that sort of thing. But. Well, and obviously he's been getting away with it long enough that like, he don't care. He'll tell everybody <laughs> what he's done. Yeah. And the cop just dismisses it as a drunken lover's quarrel. Yeah. Because they, they do. He does ask them if they've been drinking. They admit yes, of course, because they have been. Drinking vodka, I believe. And then they go back upstairs, and uh, then she knows, you know, it's over. 
I want I can't remember if it's before or after, but he gets a magic marker and draws some dotted lines around her tits. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing? Uh, I'm gonna cut him off or whatever. <laughs> I don't think he says Yeah, that, he has her tied he, up. He also makes her scream out the window. Yeah, she's trying he's to call like, for help. He's like, do it. You know, nobody's going to come for help. She's screaming for help. Nobody comes. Opens up the window. He help, tries to help her. Scream for help. Yeah. He knows nobody's coming. This whole scene, this also, I believe, coincides with some of the uh, flashbacks to some of his, Von Trier's former works. You're right. You're right. It is. Is this Lars Von Trier conceding that he might not be as great or influential an artist as he thinks he is? Or... Is he saying that everything he does is art and that the perceived quality slash validity, importance, or significance to pop culture is insignificant? Well, art is subjective. Art is art. So what would you think there? Is he just, he means all of it. He means none of it. I, you know, there could be a lot of different interpretations, but I think that kind of frames the gamut of what the possibilities are. He could be all up his own ass. He could think he's the greatest artist of this generation, the songbird <laughs> of this generation's filmmakers. Or maybe he's conceding that, you know, art is subjective and he's the he's, you know, the he Rachel, has... he's the Rachel Zegler of this generation of filmmakers. <laughs> oh, do not do not insult Lars von Trier with that name. God. The Lucy the Lucy Bell or whatever the fuck her name is in that movie. <laughs> The new the new Hunger Games movie is uh, what I'm referencing. <laughs> Songbirds <up>. and snakes. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's also like he's conceding, you know, that it's obviously, like I said before, it's not everyone's cup of tea. He could be up his own ass. Maybe he's this art that he thinks is great is maybe not so great. Well, I, I Some think... people think it is. You know, he, I think he's he's conceding that he's, I think he's open to not only criticism, but also the fact that I don't know, like his his art's mortality, if that makes sense. Like his his art isn't as influential or or great as he thinks it is. Yeah, I don't know. I I was gonna say it seems like he's kind of um, maybe admitting that he pushed the envelope too far, but also it seems like he might be that that could be a that'd be a good point. Angry that people don't understand his art. <laughs> yeah you know what i mean because like at this point it's just like he's yelling like jack is just yelling at this girl and like she just totally doesn't understand what he's talking about and, right and uh you know maybe that's the point he's trying to get across is like like how much do i have to dumb it down for you to get to understand <laughs> what i'm trying to, to do here? simple and then simple you know audience then he does the, the montage like look how great this stuff is like, is this not art? Mm-hmm. Is this not good enough for you? Right. This is my best work. But I don't know. It's hard to, to read into it. Of course, there's also Holocaust footage <laughs> in there. So, and at this point, uh, Jack also tears his house down for the second or third time. <laughs> oh, um, but I also, there, there's another thing. I've, do you have a thought and you need to finish? Uh, I have another Something I forgot about. Winemaking? What did I... Uh... Winemaking? Oh, he talked about the grapes and... Yes, the Wine is right. made with, the, with the, the frost and the... 
Yes, he goes on a whole spiel about how the temperature of grapes and when you pull them off the vine changes the the wine. Mm-hmm. But almost uh, like death leads into because it's like the death of the grape leads to actually the creation of a great wine type of thing. Right? Yeah, yeah. Another like, hey, isn't death the uh, the predecessor to great art? Yeah, death creates life almost. You know. Yeah. Were you gonna mention that he slaps her titty on the cop's windshield? <laughs> I'll let you mention that. I'm trying to think of something else that I forgot about. Well, it's been mentioned, so he does. Yeah, he goes like the cop is still there or something. It's weird. <laughs> well, he was he was he was dealing with some guy in the alley when he when he comes out. But it's like end. how many people is he dealing with in this apartment complex? It's like everyone's getting tickets and oh, he's hassling the he's hassling the minorities. Because Lars von Trier does not have a very diverse cast. Also, we find out later that uh, he doesn't. Jack doesn't keep trophies except for in this incident. He he couldn't uh, let uh, a simple's other titty go to waste, so he made a wallet out of it, which is very uh, Ed Gein of him. <laughs> <laughs> the nipple is still there. Yeah, he, he he left the nipple on it. Al apparently didn't notice over years. <laughs> Of him coming in there every two yeah, who, weeks. Uh, who knows how long he had it at that point. Yeah, anything else on the, the fourth instant? I just noted down that Bruno Gans, Verge, if you will, said that hubris is punished by nemesis. More Greek parallels. He does also call him the Antichrist. A reference to another film of his. Yeah. Which actually leads me to, into what I was going to mention. Um, so... I've noticed that Von Trier seems to be a bit of an environmentalist in my estimation. It seems like he's had some definite symbolism in some of his films about humanity destroying the earth. Now, in Antichrist, there's definitely some images that I would say support that theory. Like there's a there's a shot of Charlotte Gainsbourg laying in the grass the long, tall grass outside the cabin in the woods. And she's just laying there. And it's very green grass. And then she kind of blends into it. Mm-hmm. And it all kind of blends together. I mean, I know it's been a couple of years since you've seen it. May not know that shot. Although, I can't remember if they showed a glimpse of that in this or not. I can't remember. But regardless. They they showed Willem the foe crawling with the thing <laughs> impaled in his leg or whatever it was. But it definitely showed... You know, some shots almost insinuating that Charlie Gainsbourg is kind of blending in with nature. Yeah. I was like, she's she's a mother, mother nature, and mother nature is getting her revenge on man, that type of a thing. I think that's one of the themes of I would say that's one of the themes of Antichrist. Not the entire story, but now with the house that Jack built, he goes over the culling, right? Mm-hmm. In the third incident. Obviously. Uh, man has done certain things to the earth that aren't so great. Uh, I'm not going to get on a big soapbox about environmentalism because I'm not like that, but I do see some parallels there with him trying to say that man in not so many words is killing the earth and that culling them would lead to a more healthy earth, would it not? <laughs> so almost like, um, what do you call it? What's the what, the World Economic Forum? All those fucking globalists that want to like, we need to decrease the population of the world. Yeah. To ensure its future, right? So I'm not sure if 
Von Trier is one of those people or just agrees with those people. But it seems like he's trying to get that point across in some of his films. I can see that. So I think he's somewhat of an environmentalist. Much like Steven Seagal in the film I watched the other night, Fire Down Below, plays a federal <laughs> agent, an EPA agent. I was like, God, I don't think I know any EPA agents that carry guns and go and kill people and shit. <laughs> is, is that about his uh, bout with VD? <laughs> He's got to go to, uh, God, he goes to somewhere in the South. I don't know if it's Arkansas or like West Virginia or something. It's like some mining community where like these corporations are dumping you know toxic chemicals into the mountains it's in appalachia i know that so it could be yeah. like kentucky actually no uh louis it's in kentucky because they talk about louisville hmm. welcome to the free clinic mr seagal what what can we uh, help you with today i got the fire down below <laughs> have you discovered our lord and savior jesus christ because we'll give you a free test. I didn't know. We should, I didn't know. I was supposed to be looking for him. Was <laughs> that from again? Forrest Gump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, all leads back to Forrest Gump. Lieutenant Dan, have you found Jesus Christ? I didn't know I was supposed to be looking for him. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we talked about uh, everything from the fourth incident, basically. Yeah, he places her cut off, one of her cut off breasts. And the windshield wiper of the police car, he just you know leaves without yeah. incident after he kills her. He does bring Simple back to the freezer, doesn't he? Is this, isn't there a uh, shot where you see both of her tits cut off? Or is that still in her apartment? I don't remember. He probably takes her to the freezer because he does that just in general. But I, I don't recall. I was uh, Admittedly, I was, uh, I was kind of fighting the itis at this point in the movie Yeah, when I watched it. Most recently. For the second time. There's also a clip in here where uh, Jack talks about all the atrocities we wish to commit or express through our art. You antichrist, I don't recall ever having escorted a so thoroughly depraved person as you, Jack. Since you have now apparently set your heart on mass extermination, let me make a brief comment about the Buchenwald camp that emphasizes my attitude towards art and love. In the middle of this concentration camp stood a tree, and not just any old tree, but an oak, and not just any oak, but the one Goethe, when he was young, sat beneath and wrote some of humanity's most important works. Goethe. Here you can talk about masterpieces and the value of icons. The personification of humanism, dignity, culture and goodness was by the irony of fate suddenly present in the middle of one of the all-time greatest crimes against humanity. Some people claim that the atrocities we commit in our fiction are those inner desires which we cannot commit in our controlled civilization, so they are expressed instead through our art. I don't agree. I believe heaven and hell are one and the same. The soul belongs to heaven and the body to hell. The soul is reason and the body is all the dangerous things, for example, art and icons. 
it's like people playing GTA. <laughs> like they just, uh, you know, they can't do it in real life, so they kill hookers and, and pretend life, right? Well, it's the opposite. They play the game, and then it inspires <laughs> them to go do it for real. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, let's get into the fifth incident. Let's try to wrap this up. He's at his most unhinged in this uh, this one. Yeah. He's trying to recreate some Nazi experiment where he's they're going to execute a bunch of people uh, in some camp during World War II, and they were low on ammunition. So they're like, yep. we're going to line everybody up and shoot a full metal jacket round, <laughs> and it's supposed to go through like at least six heads. This is also a scene in uh, Schindler's List. They're, you know, trying to save on bullets, so they line up the Jews. They try to shoot a bunch of them in the head, and it's like you see there. There's shots of it where they kill like two or three at a time with mm-hmm. one bullet. They light up five of them, and he shoots, and three drop, and there's yeah. two still standing. And then they fires again, kill the other two. It's stuff I've seen before, but from Spielberg, not from Von Trier, a different Jew, right? Well, he 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 did say it's from World War Two Nazis. Yeah. Yeah, like you talked about, these lining up a bunch of people. He's kidnapped how many people and tied them to a bar in the freezer. I think there's six of them. He's anchored a rifle on the opposite end of the freezer. Yeah. And uh, he would have gone through with his plan immediately, but the military man, the black guy, that the last guy he abducted, explains that it's not a full metal jack around that he has. And upon further examination... He's right. He's right. It's just a metal jacket. Normal hunting round. And uh, that is unacceptable because the box says full metal jacket on it. And so you've got to bring it back to Al's ammunition shop and uh, give Al the business. (laughs) (laughs) I've never yelled at you before, Al, but I'm about to now. What does that look like to you? What does that say there? Uh, 30-06. that's correct. Yeah. It also says full metal jacket. When I look inside... Get me a goddamn box out. And this time, make sure it's got full metal jacket bullets in it. Is it too much to fucking ask that the contents of the box match what's written on the label? I can... I can see that uh, you're right. The label doesn't quite match the uh, c- contents, but right. what, what? That's correct. Yeah, but uh, yeah. thing is, what I can't see is that the 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 box was bought here in the shop. Well, I buy all my shit here. I have for twenty years. I'm in here. Almost every other week. What's wrong with you, Al? I'm sorry, I need to see a receipt. Receipt? Yeah. Well, I don't have a fucking receipt. I don't ever recall getting a receipt here. Now I'm in a fucking hurry. Let me buy a new box. But this time, make sure it contains full metal jacket bullets. Okay, the, can I just see some ID first? Fucking do this, Al. The thing is, the the law requires that I have. How about this? No doubt about your your identity. It's only just one full metal jacket bullet. Can I? 
Can I just add? Why just one? Well, that would be none of your fucking business. That, that's right. I'm, okay. I'm sorry. That's I do okay. business here because you don't ask stupid questions. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Shut it down, Al. Go okay. home. Have a sandwich. You lost your fucking mind, Al. Yeah. Sorry. I'm so- Is it too much to ask? The contents of the box match what it says on the outside. <laughs> yeah, I love that scene. And he rushes back. And this is after... Who's the guy he kills in the trailer? What's his name? SP. SP. So, like, he's... He's got so many things going on at once. Yeah. And it's it's a little hard to follow, but it's like he's got people hidden in the freezer, abducted, waiting for him to go and shoot them and kill them. And yeah. then he he what he runs his car off the road, right? Yeah. So so we should mention too the the L starts getting uh, suspicious because the police came in and invest, or asked him about Jack. Mm-hmm. So they're starting to get on his trail. And then, yeah, he's in such a huff when he leaves the, the gun store. He drives his van off the road and he gets stuck in the dirt. It seems like it's right by that spot from the first incident where that shop is. But it's some right. friend it's, of his that lives in a trailer. Yeah, it's a trailer where we find out his name is SP, but it's the first time we met him. He's wearing this like red cloak with a hood on it. Mm-hmm. He put he points a gun at him. He's like, "I got you." You know, he caught him. Like he's, but it, like the crimes he's thinking he did was like robbery and shit. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> those aren't the right ones. Well, like I'm sure he did, but those aren't the most pressing crimes that he did. Right, and then and then Jack, you know, typical Jack. Oh, you got me. You got. I did it. I did the. I did the robbery. <laughs> you got me and uh so he he calls the cops and says i got jack here and uh jack you know he's i'm not going anywhere let's have a drink and uh he takes the opportunity to shoot sp mm-hmm. when he get, lets his guard down yeah oh you know me i don't run around with a gun on me <laughs> <laughs> but uh then he sets a trap for the cops yeah he, he puts, switches uh, clothes with sp Yep. And he shoots the cop and steals his car, drives it back to the uh the freezer with the lights and siren on. Yep. And, and then uh, just leaves it running outside <laughs> with the siren and lights going. Yeah. Runs inside yeah. like he can't wait. <laughs> like a kid on Christmas. Yep. SP had a full metal jacket uh round box yeah. of ammunition and he, and he grabbed one. He grabbed one. And he just ran back and uh, he confirms with the military man. Yes, it is, in fact, a full metal jacket. But then he can't line up his shot because the scope is too close to the target. <laughs> just needs like another six feet or so. Yeah, can't focus. And now he gets Hulk strength and opens that unopenable door. <laughs> well, he grabs that uh, pipe, right? That hollow yeah, he, pipe. He and uses it, it as a, a simple machine to open he, it. Yeah, he pries it open with a pipe because he's he's got to do it. He's he's got to get this done. Meanwhile, there's cops on the scene trying to bang on the door. They're literally uh, burning down the the door. They got like the what do you call it? That sort of 
the uh yeah i, I can't remember like a torch or something yeah it's some sort of torch torch blowtorch that's going through the the steel door yeah and he's doesn't really give a shit and he's about to fire and then he kind of hears verge's voice jack <laughs> he just gets distracted like oh what <laughs> what <laughs> wasn't there something about a house oh yeah <laughs> he, he builds a house out of people that he's killed throughout the film <laughs> and others that they don't show of course because there's like i don't know a Three dozen bodies, probably. Oh, at least there's gonna be more than that. Maybe fifty. Well, he's he said he killed sixty. Yeah. Before he killed simple sixty one. <laughs> no. Uh, is it too hard a concept to grasp that the number has increased within the next couple of minutes? <laughs> um. So yeah, he, he builds this house, and it's like a a pretty good size. It's probably like at its peak, maybe seven feet tall. Like the door is probably yeah. five feet high by like three feet wide. It's a good house, Jack. Verge liked the house. Yes. It was structurally sound. And so, uh, yeah, the cops get a little opening in the door, start shooting. But Verge and uh, Jack, there's a hole in the floor of the house and they just like jump down and now we're on our way to hell. Yep. And this is where the movie starts over. Yeah, that leads into the epilogue. Catabasis journey into Hades. But um there's some really cool shots in this or they're like I, I assume they're recreating uh paintings. Right. Or, yep. or it looks like paintings. Yep, I have that as a note, recreating classic paintings. Um the post production did take a long time for some of the special effects and shots that he uh well they did the bubble to. scene. The what scene the bubble scene. Mm. But, the bubble scene where they're in the <laughs> bubbles right <laughs> floating down <laughs> no I, no i assume the post-production was spent on something other than that because that seemed like it was right. pretty rudimentary there's a lot of stuff at the epilogue too with kind of showing hell like the an infinite hole yeah or, or a hole with infinite depth and uh, flames, of course. There's a bridge that's out of service, if you will, but uh, got to try and, and jump across it like golden axe. Then there's the uh, the sound of millions of souls screaming is just like a buzzing noise in the background. They get yeah. louder the deeper you get. Right. Um, and Jack's going to try and climb around the edge of the hole, which Verge tells him that nobody's ever accomplished before but yeah jack's gonna try it anyways because of his because of his hubris yeah well also he verges he says uh i know you'd be curious so i brought you down here this is as deep as it goes you, you're actually a couple levels above this <laughs> like we'll, we'll take you back there and uh jack decides funny that he stay. couldn't even get to yeah. the bottom level of hell or whatever <laughs> but uh yeah yeah so he tries to take his uh his chances to get around to the other side which uh what are they it implied it went to heaven or something i can't remember where the other stairway went to well it did say out of hell i believe so the stairway to heaven well dante's inferno or i should say the divine comedy it's inferno and then purgatory and the paradise those are mm. the three parts of the divine comedy so you could say maybe it goes into purgatory and then heaven, but I don't know. 
Either way, it's not hell. So well, he doesn't make it anyways. So <laughs> he does not. <laughs> yeah, he uh he falls down the hole, and then uh, we hear the song "Hit the Road, Jack." Don't you come back no more, no more, no just, more, no more. Just like uh, the end of Nymphomaniac, where they they went out with "Hey Joe." <laughs> Hey, Joe, where are you going with that gun in your hand? <laughs> tell you, Von Cheer, he's got some great fucking needle drops for it's, end credits. He does. <laughs> it, it's it's like he writes a movie. Like, how could I end this movie with a great song? <laughs> and like, what would be the setup for it? Like, oh, my character Joe is going to shoot somebody with a gun. And I want to <laughs> play Hey, Joe over the credits. Like it was Jamie, but then they played Jamie. Jamie's got a gun, you know? <laughs> That might have worked. Well, I'm trying to think, did she get raped by her dad in that movie? Because <laughs> uh, that's what Jamie got a gun is about getting molested by your dad. No, well, Jamie yeah, got no. molested by her dad. But anyways, okay, yeah. I don't think she was. But anyway, in the, in the house that Jack built, he's like, I make a character named Jack, and he's gonna be a real asshole, and then he's gonna fall <laughs> into hell, and then we're gonna sing. Hit the road, Jack. <laughs> Don't you come back no more, no more, no more, no more. Uh, I think that'll about do it. Anything else you want to get into before we rate it and get into fun facts? No, I mean, we covered the shit out of this movie. Mm-hmm. I loved it. It was my favorite film of 2018. Number one. I don't know if I watched 10 movies from 2018 yet. <laughs> All right, so let's rate it. Because it was my favorite of that year, I gave it an ASAP. WTM ASAP. As soon as possible. As soon as possible. Five stars in Letterboxd. Favorite of the year of 2018. Not much more to say about it. I love it in every way. Big fan of Von Trier. And I think this puts a nice, uh, what did you say, puts a nice coda on his filmography, his career. Because he's about to end it. Sure. He does that TV series and he might do one or two more movies, but he's he's damn near done. He might really end it. Mm-hmm. You know, the Europeans and their euthanasia. It almost sounded like with that plea to get a muse or a girlfriend, it almost sounded like I'm going to kill myself soon. So let's wrap <laughs> this up. Let's go. <laughs> I can't remember if he alluded to that, but it was like it was either that or like, I'm going to die soon because I have dementia and yeah i'm deteriorating blah 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 but well i uh i gave the house that jack built uh four stars on letterboxd which is a wtm soonish soonish okay so you didn't change your rating the second time watching because you fell asleep (laughs) (laughs) no no i i liked it just as much okay um to be fair i did watch it in august for the first time so uh Twice in uh, four months, sure, is uh, a little uh, more frequent than I would watch movies uh, <laughs> again. So, all right, let's get into the fun facts. Hey, everybody, here's some fun facts. I alluded to it earlier, but at least I think I alluded to it earlier. You mentioned there's something about Mary where he's Matt Dillon is pretending to be an architect to get Mary. You did mention that, yes. Because also it says in here, you know, Jack is an engineer who sees himself as an architect, commits a series of murders in the Pacific Northwest, 
not Europe, of course. It's the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Matt Dillon also uh, played a character in the Southern about Mary, who was pretended to be an architect and was accused of being a serial murderer who operated in the states of Utah and Washington, Pacific Northwest. Mm. In both films, there is a theme regarding the decomposition of bodies. <laughs> Here's a fun fact. Um, uh, kind of mentioned this. The film had its world premiere at the Cannes International Film Festival on May 14, 2018. It was reported that more than 100 audience members, including some critics, walked out during the premiere, mm-hmm. though a six minute standing ovation followed the screening. Some of the I read a audience... 10 minutes, I read 10 minutes on I think Wikipedia. Well, this is six, a measly six minute standing that, ovation. Six is not very. Like Dial Destiny got five, so <laughs> <laughs> that was disappointing. Oh, I hate this. And that movie. was Harrison Ford was there. Gotta clap five. for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, some of the upset audience members continued to condemn the movie on social media for the ex- for its extreme violence and nihilistic tone. Here's a fun fact. So we kind of touched on this, although I'm not sure if this is very clear. For Laz von Trier, Glenn Gould is Jack's hero. Talked about that, the piano player. Gould also represents intellect and art, and in a way reflects Jack, because as Jack can't make things work, Gould can't figure out a piece of music. So Gould is used as a commentary in the film. I can't remember if they explained that thoroughly, because you could see his skill on the piano was second to none. Yeah. But... I think there were a few scenes where you, you did seem frustrated with himself. Here's another fun fact. Um, the old nursery rhyme, The House That Jack Built, was quoted in Lars von Trier's feature film debut, The Element of Crime. Mm. So he's going full circle with his filmography. That's what he's doing. Are you familiar with this the nursery rhyme? I'm not. I, I pulled it up on Wikipedia. It's... um. It's a little bit long, but uh, it goes, this is the house that Jack built. This is the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the cat that killed the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house that Jack built. This is the dog that worried the cat that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it just keeps adding on things that happened to things that, we're in the house that Jack built. Sure. Here's another fun fact. The film's epilogue, in which Jack goes to hell, was suggested by Lars von Trier's co-writer, uh, Jenny Holland, or Janelle Holland, in which von Trier felt appropriate. I thought that's a good idea because it's been a long time since we've really visited hell in films, particularly the journey to hell. We put it together from different uh, conceptions, or whatever the word is, of hell, the Elysian Fields is something from the Roman mythology. I'm quite sure that hell doesn't look like what we've made for this film. But um, yeah, I thought there was another part that mentioned um, he thinks that the ending of this film is very much unlike his previous works. He thinks people that would have seen a lot of his films would assume or would think that Jack gets away with everything. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't hear, and he falls into hell. So at the very least, he thought people would assume that Jack was going to get to the other side. And yeah. quite the opposite, Jack falls. 
I think you'll find it. There's a there is a one trivia about how he wanted to make a Hitchcockian ending. Yep, that's I, I read that somewhere else. And uh, he took that from Hitchcock. He thought, you know, this this deserves a different ending, a Hitchcockian ending. Yes. There there is a so it's not what a, I usually do, but <laughs> I'm sure you'll get to it soon. There there's one down there about that. Um, in the scene where Jack is first using photos in the mirror to mimic human expression and emotions, one photo shows a man who looks terrified while his eyes are being held open. This photo was taken in 1862 by Dr. G.B. Duchenne de Boulogne and is titled Fright Mixed with Pain, Torture. The original photograph is now part of the Wagstaff Collection at the Getty Museum. Here's a fun fact. A few times, Verge says to Jack, do you want me to show you the way to the next whiskey bar? This is referencing most popularly The Doors, 91 Alabama song, which in turn is a rendition of an opera song of the same name, written originally by German, by Bertolt Brecht. The second incident is basically an adaption of Ray Bradbury's short story, The Fruit at the Bottom of the Bowl from 48, 1948, in which the murderer is obsessed with erasing every fingerprint at the scene of the crime. Were they dealing with fingerprints in the 40s? Yeah. Really? So. In the 40s. Fingerprints. Okay. Yeah, if you watch those old uh, movies, uh, I'm pretty sure fingerprints are a thing. Here's another fun fact. Jack has a red van and he poses and photographs his victims' corpses. In January 2018, a few months before this film premiered at Cannes, a real serial killer named Bruce MacArthur was arrested in Canada. He also had a red van and would pose and photograph his victims' corpses. Hmm. Um, so he mentioned uh, this a little bit. The title refers to the, or the title refers to this is the house that Jack built, a uh, nursery rhyme which uses the cumulative tale technique in which the events are progressively narrated, leading to an end where the interlinking becomes obvious. This is not the story of building a house, but as the story progresses, the house is connected with all the other events, characters, and objects in a very surprising way. The rhyme was first published in 1755 in the Nurse True Love's New Year's Gift or the book of books for children in London. Mm. So I guess I could read the last uh, last paragraph of the the uh, or the last verse, if you will. This is the horse and the hound and the horn that belonged to the farmer sowing his corn. That kept the cock that crowed in the in the morn. That woke the priest all shaven and shorn. That married the man all tattered and torn. The kiss the maiden all forlorn, the milk the cow with the crumpled horn, the toss the dog that worried the cat, the killed the rat that ate the malt that lay in the house the jack built. It's a lot of sh- a lot of shit. When shooting the first incident, Matt Dillon was a little confused because he didn't understand why Jack was being such a passive character by listening to all of Uma Thurman's character blabbing about him being a serial killer and her being stupid for getting in the van several times and not doing anything about it sooner. But then Dylan thought that maybe all of her ramblings were actually in Jack's head as a way to give himself a reason to kill her. When the actor went to Lars Von Trier with this theory, 
The director smiled and revealed to him that his intention with those moments were exactly that. However, the movie itself does not actually point out any of this. Hmm. So that's a fun fact. And a little similar to like, I was thinking about for the epilogue, he's about to shoot the, the six people with the full metal jacket. And then he hears Bruno Gans. That could just be the police breaking down the door and shooting and killing him. Right. Cause he's going to hell. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's kind of how I take that scene. I guess those people live. I guess the cops get there at the nick of time because he, there's no other reason why he would not kill those people. I guess unless he was dead. He's going to build his house or he just maybe because he was distracted by his own hubris starts hallucinating about the under afterworld or, you know, what have you, but anywho, that's what it I kind of think about yeah. the end. We didn't really touch on, but no, it, it, it does get very uh, surreal there at the end. Mm. Um, so yeah, Bruno Gans is in that freezer room that he could not get into. He's like in the corner on a chair, like a folding <laughs> yeah. chair. And also, he's like, I've been here for a while. And then, like, they flash back, and like, he's at the hunting thing. That's right. He's yeah. He's at the. He's in the background of certain shots. He's he's uh, he's there when he's hiding the car in the, in the woods or whatever. I forget where all. But he's basically there. Like, oh, he's like looking in the window at Claire's house. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Like, he's like, oh, you didn't see me there. I was there the whole time. Uh, if you have another. Fun fact, go ahead, but I'll just do one more. There's several good ones here, but I think we've done enough. This one is a reference to what you talked about earlier with the Bob Dylan song. The repeated shots in which Jack holds up large cue cards while standing in an alley are reference to Bob Dylan's famous music video, Bob Dylan Subterranean Homesick Blues from 67. Here's a quote from, uh, well, not really a quote, kind of is. Apparently from a Guardian article from February 14th, 2017, Mm. Lars Von Trier explains the origins of the film as follows. The house that Jack built celebrates the idea that life is evil and soulless, which is sadly proven by the recent rise of the Homo Trumpus, the Rat King. (laughs) Yeah, if I recall, he was not a fan of the, the, the Trump. The, the article was apparently called Lars Von Trier inspired by Donald Trump for new serial killer film. Mm-hmm. So there you go. There's your boy, Lars Von Trier, <laughs> Trump hater to the de- till the end. Mm-hmm. Well, he's got dementia. So, <laughs> so he relates to Joe Biden on a personal level. <laughs> that he does. Uh, anything else you want to bring up? Mm, nope. Let's remind the folks at home that the easiest way to support the show is to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and any other app that you listen or download our podcast. That would be wonderful. However, if you feel so inclined to support us financially while getting some killer merch, where can you go to get some of that merch and support the show? Brett? You can go to wtmwatchthismovie.creator-spring.com. Thank you. You can also reach out to us. You can email us at watchthismovie at yahoo.com. Follow us on Twitter at watchthis underscore movie or Brett at positivelywolf1, which is also his letterbox profile. Mine is under eric underscore Mulder. As I said, please rate and review, subscribe, and Apple Podcasts on pretty much every other podcast platform. 
We will check you later. Guess we'll see you around. All right, check you later. Bye. Later. Wait, man, why are you always such a dork, man? What are you talking check about? Check you later. Check you later. <laughs> hey, man, you off my case. Why do you always have to be so cruel? I'm not completely stupid. That fucking depends on your definition of completely. <laughs>